Hi, this is Tom Chick. I know you're here for a podcast about Ghostbusters. I'll, I'll get you there in just a sec. But first, I wanted to quickly let you know that if you like what we do on this podcast, if you, if you want to support the site that hosts it, please take a look at the Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash Tom Chick. Now, you're going to find a whole mess of text over there. You can, you can read that if you want. But what I think you'll find most interesting is a video where I explain why on earth you're listening to a movie podcast on a site about video games. I promise it kind of makes sense, sort of. Plus, you'll get to hear something you almost never hear on this podcast, which is a short anecdote about the movie Jaws. So please give it a look. Consider supporting it, even if it's just for like a dollar a month. Uh, that's patreon.com slash tomchick. Okay, sorry for the nag. Now over to the Ghostbusters podcast, and I, I bet you can't guess what, what the music's going to be. Hello there. You're listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Ghostbusters 2016. My name is Tom Chick. I am here with Christian Malowski. Uh, my full name is Michael Canine. And with a Ghostbusters tagline, Kelly Wand. Ackroyd and Murray haven't been this funny since Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> Kelly, run with it. At the end, Kristen wears a wig. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. Mondays. Yeah. It's like the first Ghostbusters, except the fourth one's black. I don't get that one, but I like it. I think this, this is only the it's third. dumb. Uh, now Harold Ramis really does collect spores, molds, and fungus. Oh, I know. Kelly, but come on, it's men out of love. It's I love. can just I can edit that out. Yeah, that, that was mean, Kelly Wand. What? But He's love, a comedian, so it's okay. I love remembering the way he says that. I look sporty when she asks him, what are your hobbies? I love the I, way he says that. That line it's is super great. cute. Yeah. yeah and you made, a, you made a gallows yeah. humor, Kelly Wand. Nice work. I did. Come on. You made Groundhog Day. He gets it. Okay, and they say funny. it at the end for Harold Ramis. Right. Well, Kelly I'm Wand, a supporter. Just for that, let's see which one of you is more of a supporter of the original Ghostbusters movies. By me... Uh, giving you guys a quiz. Oh, God. Yep. Uh, now, this quiz, when Ghostbusters came out, it was, it, for for the longest time, in, it was 84, is that right? Uh, for a while, it was the highest grossing comedy. Yeah. So uh, I decided to look up the highest grossing comedy. And also, uh, Finding Dory, I think four weeks after it was out, it only took four weeks, became the highest grossing animated movie of all time. Uh, so when I went to look at what are currently the highest grossing comedies, I want you guys to guess, and you're each going to guess in turn until one of you hits the number, how many of the high of the top top ten grossing comedies. And comedy is pretty straightforward. None of them on the list made me think, that's eh, not a comedy. They're all things that would be described very clearly as comedies on IMDb. How many of the top ten grossing comedies are animated? I want you each to guess. I'm going to let Dingus guess first. The number between zero and ten. Uh, whichever one of you hits the number gets a point. Then, 
there's going to be a follow-up question. You only get one chance each at the follow-up question. If you get the follow-up question, you get two points. So it's that simple. The first question, the first part of the quiz, it gets one point. Then you have a chance to steal it with the two-point follow-up question. So the first point, the first question is, how many of the top ten grossing comedies are animated? Dingus, what is your guess? Six. That is not correct. Kelly Wand, how many of the top ten grossing comedies are animated? Four. Wrong. Dingus, what's another guess? Seven. No. Kelly Wand. Eight. Nope. How many of the top ten grossing comedies are animated, Dingus? Five. No. Kelly Wand, of the top ten grossing comedies of all time, how many of them are animated? One. No. Dingus, the numbers one, four, five, six, seven, and eight are taken. How many of the top ten grossing comedies, Dingus, are animated movies? Three. No. Kelly Wan, the numbers one, three, four, six, five, seven, and eight are taken. Of the ten highest grossing comedies of all time, how many are animated? Two. No. <laughs> Dingus. The numbers one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight are taken. Dingus, of the top ten grossing comedies of all time, how many of them are animated? Nine. Dingus wins. Wow. Now, here's the follow-up Damn, I was going to say nine X. Here's the follow-up question. And then, <laughs> Kelly Wand, you get first try at this follow-up question. You only get one chance. If you get it, it's two points of you, and you have won. Dingus, if he doesn't get it, you win anyway, but you get a chance to win with three points instead of one. Kelly I can't Wand. I believe that Kelly didn't get nine, given where he lives. See, Kelly Wand? I, I love that. <laughs> that would guys, mean zero, though. You guys guessed every single number but zero. <laughs> was, oh, no, you didn't guess ten. Uh, so, Kelly Wand, what is the one non animated comedy in the top ten? You get one chance to steal the win if you choose the, the comedy that is live action, it's not animated, that's in the top ten grossing comedies of all time. The Martian? All right, so Diggis, you win. Kelly Wan didn't even try. Uh, Diggis, do you have a guess what it might be? Ghostbusters. No, it's Deadpool. Deadpool is a number That's one. That's not a comedy. Four, not, uh, seven. I mean, it's listed That's as not like, a comedy. Please. <laughs> it's listed as number seven. Uh, it's on, funny. It's a superhero movie. Uh, it's, it's as funny as, I mean, as, funny as the Galaxy comedy. Um, I ima- I'm not sure. I bet it is. Yeah, I would say it's listed as comedy. I mean, it's comedic. Um, it's, it would be like uh, an adventure, superhero. I mean, it, there's several descriptors. Um, but for instance, what stats are that's more my takeaway from it. What is your takeaway, Kelly? One, you cut out. We lost you. Stats are stupid, and they don't uh, last long. Well, uh, at any rate, Deadpool made $363 million, and it's the number seven highest-grossing comedy. The rest of them are animated movies. Let me just run down this list in case anyone's curious. From number one to number ten, it goes Finding Dory, Shrek 2, Toy Story 3, Frozen, Finding Nemo, Despicable Me 2, then Deadpool, finally Inside Out, Zootopia, and Minions. This is the top ten grossing comedies. And, and it's just – you have to get down to number 15, 16, 17 – then you start hitting more live-action movies. Like you hit Home Alone, Meet the Fockers, and Hangover once you get down to 15, 16, and 17. But it's all, it's all animated movies. It's all family stuff, cartoons for kids. What's number 11? Uh, I'd have to go look it up, but I don't know. Because all... I don't count Deadpool. I think it's probably Spinal Tap. So if I... 
Yeah, I'm not sure. It should, that should be number one, first off. So, Dingus, congratulations on your Short win. Animated. You win. Congratulations. So, Dingus, your prize for that winning shut out. is that uh, – actually, I do have to say something before we go to the, the movie. Can I just take this opportunity? Kelly Wand, I owe you an apology. Now, I, uh, I recently watched a movie called Viral, and I watched it because – uh, for a couple of reasons, it's a it's like an it's an apocalyptic movie where you know a virus wipes out the population. Uh, it's R rated, so I thought that's ah, not going to be some kind of teen comedy sanitized thing. It'll it'll be like an adult movie. Uh, I like the cast members. Dingus, we we like Michael Kelly a lot. He plays the father of these two girls who get uh, quarantined in their house during this this viral breakout, uh, and the girls are played by Annalie Tipton, who we really like. Um, and a young actress on a, who has a, a small but pivotal part on an HBO series called The Night Of. Uh, the lead actress in Viral is Sophia Black Delia, is her name? Del- Delia? I'm not sure how to pronounce her last name. Uh, so at any rate, I like these three actors. Uh, it looked like a, a serious horror movie. I watched it. It was terrible. Uh, it was very much like a teen movie that should have been rated PG-13. Michael Kelly is barely in it. Uh, he basically is out of the picture for most of the movies, and these two girls are stuck at home dealing with this quarantine, and the virus turns people into zombies, yada, yada, yada. And they're just boring teenage characters, mm. and there's this thing about like you know who's in love with whom and the boyfriend. and It's just it's, – it's like a young adult crap. And so, Kelly Wan, the reason I owe you an apology is because it is directed by people that I might have otherwise defended – Given that I liked Catfish, these guys named Henry Joost and Ariel Schulman directed Viral, and I thought, yeah, I liked Catfish, Paranormal Activity 3. Okay, it was cool. I'm going to give these guys a chance. I like them. Kelly Wan, they're awful. It was a terrible, terrible movie. So I owe you an apology forever. They're idiots. And I doubted your your scorn, and I I take back all my doubt. Wait, you didn't like Paranormal 3, though. They ruined Paranormal Activity, I think. I thought we all agreed on that. I didn't hate it. I mean, it had some cool moments. It had some moments where I thought, these are young filmmakers, like that oscillating fan bit. These are young young filmmakers. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it was no Paranormal Activity 2. Like, Paranormal Activity 2 was was better than 3. They've steadily declined. But – you know, after because I liked Catfish, and I think Dingus did too. You were the you were the Henry Juiced Ariel Schulman detractor on this podcast, and I doubted you. I no longer doubt yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. I said fuck Facebook and fuck this movie, and I stand by those words. They also have a movie coming out this week with called uh, called Nerve with uh, shoot, oh Emma Roberts, who I'm not sure. Uh, some sci-fi thing. I always get the Emma's. That's uh, no, no way. She's the um. Periodical. Wait, this is not. We need to. I can I I can barely hear Kelly. Uh, yeah, Kelly, we seem to have a bad connection, but we'll uh, maybe it'll get better. Uh, Kelly, what, who are you mixing up? Emma Roberts and who? Harry the Harry Potter chick and who? Emma uh, Roberts. That's Emma Potter. Oh, but you said you were mixing her up with someone. I think herself. I can understand your confusion there. Yeah, uh, Kelly. Hopefully your connection will get good because in a minute we're going to need your services to give us a synopsis of the movie we saw this week, which was what, Dingus? Right, this week we saw Ghostbusters, mm. 2016, yes. a 2016 <laughs> sci-fi fantasy reboot movie. Ah, you didn't put comedy in there, Dingus. Hmm. 
Interesting. <laughs> okay. I see, what, I see where we're going. <laughs> About paranormal activity in Manhattan again. It was directed by Paul Feig and written by him and Katie <laughs> Dippold, who also is in the movie. Yeah, she is. Um, Tom, are you offended by the song of Chinese food? Uh, it stars Zach Woods, Kate McKinnon, Kristen Wiig, Melissa McCarthy, Leslie Jones, and Chris Hemsworth. Ghostbusters 2016 is rated PG-13 for supernatural action. <laughs> and I don't know, have we seen that one before? Is that a new one that the MPA is rolling out? I have not seen that before, no. Interesting, uh, okay. Uh, so it's for supernatural action and some crude humor. I'll say. Yeah. What if I told you the crude humor comes out the front? Dingus, I knew oh. that's where you... <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, Kelly Wan, did the MPAA miss anything? Is there anything you, you feel you should inform parents about if they're considering taking their children to Ghostbusters? Uh, dead CG, women doing men's work, oh. and Slimer. <laughs> yeah. Too soon? Uh, well, Just, come well, on, dead CG. Uh, yeah, sure. No, I'll take that one. But then you start hitting below the belt, Kelly Wan. That's for adults. Although oh, this, this, get it. this movie did make me wonder if Christopher Hitchens is right about uh, – well, we'll get into that in a moment. No. No? It's not. Okay. It's just – I don't think so. I, I don't either, but, but this movie we'll did talk make about me, it. Yeah, this movie did make me wonder. But we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. I don't want to – Dingus has already tipped his hand a little bit. That's me sort of tipping my hand a bit. Uh, let's see what the critics think of Ghostbusters. Rotten Tomatoes, it has uh, – it's a percentage of reviews <laughs> that are positive. It has 73% – other reviews for Ghostbusters listed as positive. Metacritic, which is the, the rating average, ratings average from various reviews, it's at 60 out of 100. Ghostbusters opened at number two with $46 million, just a few million behind uh, the second week for Secret Life of Pets. <laughs> Jesus. Mm, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So, Kelly Wand... Uh, Dingus and I have both let slip a little bit about our opinion on this movie. Can you give, oh! us, can you give us a synopsis without giving away your opinion? Or in your synopsis, will there, will there perhaps be some editorializing about the Ghostbusters movie? Well, I don't know. All right. Well, let's find out by having a Ghostbopsis. Hmm. Well, you know, what going to do? Uh Wait. Oh, okay, yeah. That's right. Ghost Bupsis. 26 Topsis. The tall pasty guy from Silicon Valley in the office and in the loop is giving a tour of his house to middle-aged people in Hawaiian shirts taking lots of pictures. He's all. And this is the room where Jason Bourne first conceived the idea of making apes out of Terminators. And over here we have crowd favorite, the famous haunted door of Innsmouth, making me right now literally the thing on the doorstep. But seriously, legend has it that a woman who opened it was fed only keys slid under it for a hundred years before she died of unrelated digestive issues, and it's never been opened since. Or closed. The door opens and closes. Some CG walks on screen and yawns. He's all, and that's the end of our tour. Suddenly he starts screaming. 
The internet troll sitting beside me wearing a t-shirt that shows white boobs with a red circle and line through it, along with the words ghost busting and vaginas don't mix in my estimation, snickers at me and goes, he screamed like a girl, boo! Goes sitting beside him, all boo! The Ghostbusters theme starts playing over shots of some random buildings. After a couple seconds, the words parentheses 2016 appear in very small print. <laughs> Meanwhile, in a mostly unoccupied chalkboard room, Kristen Wiig finishes scribbling some equations on the board and goes, and that's why now I only believe in the living. Thank you. Any questions? I guess that's a question. Matthew Modine standing right in front of her. He raises his hand, then he's all, Professor Wig, I need your help. It involves my roommate's door museum. Did you write this book? He holds up a book with stars on the cover entitled Ghosts Are From the Past. She's all, yeah, but now I'm a straight man. He's all, since you're discredited, I decided to bring this book here and wait until you were done talking to this empty classroom. Let's go. Wig's all, hang on, I never accept jobs by myself. My, 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 myself. Also, shouldn't the Silicon Valley guy's character have been you in this scene? As he starts to answer, she goes to an unspecified room where Melissa McCarthy's angrily shaking a bag of water with a wonton in it at a non-Chinese delivery boy. <laughs> She's all, I said extra water! Behind her, Kate McKinnon bounces off a wall and cackles. <laughs> Wig comes in and goes, hey, only Melissa, Ed Bakley showed me my book, so it's time for us to be friends again and business partners. We're strange scientists? McCarthy's all, and I'm a straight man in this? Jesus, why didn't they just put lipstick on a Franco? I mean, forget it, Kristen. I have a new collaborator now. <laughs> she gestures to Kate McKinnon. Kate McKinnon's all. <laughs> she puts her feet up on something and snickers. They go to the door museum. The CG's still standing there next to the Silicon Valley guy, who's now he now stops screaming. Wig looks at him, turns to Bagley, and goes, "Which one of them's the ghost?" McCarthy's all, "Boy, that wonton! I'm still upset. It looked like a man's." There's a bad splice in the film. Then the action resumes. McCarthy's all, "Crotum." McKinnon's all. <laughs> she starts farting confetti. I look over at Ivan Reitman sitting beside me in a T-shirt that says, I also directed Legal Eagles, and go, my favorite Arnie movie of yours is the one where he's governor. The Ghostbusters all whip out proton packs and start firing streams of 80s CG at the Silicon Valley guy till he gives up. Bagley's all, thank God I read the cover jacket of that book of yours. Wait, why did I bring it to McCarthy character if she's the one still practicing? As Paul Feig starts to answer, the next day they find out the monthly rent for Ghostbusters said is 21k. So instead, they set up shop in a hilariously average-sized room above the Chinese restaurant that's always giving McCarthy a comical number of wontons. One day, Thor shows up. He wears glasses without frames over his eyes, and one of those Chippendales collars without a shirt. He's all. Uh, he's. Oi, I'm here about the Annie Potts rule. <laughs> McCarthy's all, we didn't post a listing for any positions here. Wig's all, you're hired. She starts drilling on Thor's sack. Thor's all, easy with the $20 woods. He takes a pencil and starts paper shredding it, then staples his penis to an aquarium. 
wigs all. You just got a raise. Also, I'm an aquarium too, so feel free to staple things to me. Just FYI, he's all. By the way, there's a black woman in plain view. He points to Leslie Jones sitting on a bench. She's all. I thought I heard ghosts walking on some train tracks, so I decided to follow him into the tunnel. The tunnel led here. Feats don't fail me now. When do I start? McKinnon snickers and begins eating a Snickers sideways. McCarthy walks on screen and turns on a TV. Bill Murray and drags on. And interviewers all. And with us tonight is famed skeptic Bill Murray. Dr. Murray, thank you for joining me for this is today. First and only question. After decades of refusing to reprise your hallmark role as Peter Venkman due to your dissatisfaction with the scripts Ramus and Aykroyd kept foisting on you, do you regard your cameo in this as a half-baked pastiche of the character Dickless from the original film as an ideal solution? <laughs> Murray's all, hell no. Mike from Veep walks on screen and goes, hey, I think I'm the mayor in this. Just want to thank you girls for all your help purging the city of CG with CG. Never seen that in a movie before, although I haven't seen X-Men Apocalypse yet, so please no spoilers. Now you're all under arrest. Here's a check. Slimer walks on screen and throws up skeeb scoobs all over wig. <laughs> Thor is all. By the way, Slime is here. Also, someone Stone reported just seeing CG at an unspecified rock concert. Wigs all. Then let's roll. Get it? <laughs> McCarthy's all. Wontons more unto the breach. McKinnon winds up some chattery teeth and sets them walking on a desk. Some subtitles are all. Yes. <laughs> they stop off at the subway station where they watch a man drawing graffiti on the wall that ultimately turns out for some reason to be an anti-sperm logo. Then they go to a concert being <laughs> by a pterodactyl. <laughs> I don't waste words. And shoot animation at the pterodactyl till wigs all. Guys, I got an idea. Melissa, jump off something. McCarthy walks on stage while the band courteously plays My Baby's Got Back. McCarthy's all, hey, I'm fat, and jumps. The crowd catches her and carries her in silence towards the exit. <laughs> Leslie Jones is all, I'm black, and jumps. The crowd moves out of the way so she lands hard on her face, breaking her nose. The crowd cheers. Spider-Man's Uncle Ben stands up beside me and goes, Rice! <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> can't believe that. Dingus? I can't believe that just happened. All right. I just telepotted a lot of things. <laughs> That's what happens. McKinnon's all, I'm not jumping. The crowd laughs. The pterodactyl lands on Leslie Jones' shoulder and then loses interest in the scene while the other Ghostbusters comic. <laughs> so we saw the same movie, obviously. While the other Ghostbusters comically do nothing to save their friend. Eventually, the concert ends with the Beverly Hills Cop theme. In the lobby, an interviewer saw, Mayor Mike from Veep, what happened here tonight or anywhere? Mike saw, the Ghostbusters are frauds and murderers. We'll be sure they get the death penalty and or deported. This is a travesty of a fine musical act, and the Chinese are right. The supernatural is not meant to be enjoyed in comedic form. Thank you for the microphone. Hey, why are you taking it back? Meanwhile, a minor Oswald is taking up the Moranis role by going into a basement. He looks at his collection of ghosts and aquariums, sets the act dial to three, and chuckles. Soon the virgins of Shabnigaroth will beget the heir of tedium.
the moon will couple with the locust and the deer and the antelope shall play. Suddenly the Ghostbusters come in and kill him. I lean over to judge. Minor I, guess Archibald. I lean over to Judge Reinhold sitting beside Moranis and say to both of them, Hey, I have an idea for head office too, but we have to shoot it before Jane Seymour is too old to dance in a cage. Moranis says something unintelligible in Canadian. Meanwhile, back at HQ, Thor's all, By the way, I'm possessed. He walks out. Wigs all, You just got another raise. McCarthy chugs on screen with a pile of dusty old tomes in her hands and a wonton on top. She's all, guys, she blows the dust off the topmost book and goes, according to this ancient treatment, New York City's actually built on an old Indian reservation. The delivery boys all, that would explain the wontons. McCarthy blows the dust off a second book and goes, and this is the movie and novelization for the original Ghostbusters. Listen, Venkman smirked at the terrified old librarian and said, oh, and one last thing, are you currently menstruating? Dean Delacourt turned several shades of red. What's that got to do with it, Dr. Bankman? Back off, man. I'm a scientist. Wigs all. Red comes in shades? McCarthy shuts the book and goes, it still holds up. What do we do? McKinnon walks up with a can of nuts and goes, hey, there's a ghost in this. Look. She opens it. Some snakes fly out. <laughs> Leslie Jones It's all, damn. Wigs all. Guys, look. She turns on a TV. A newscaster's standing on Fifth Avenue. He's all... And in dire news, as you can see behind me right now, Thor is fiendishly using CG to make all the cops do nothing. It's like it's right out of Dark Knight Rises, but three years later. Wig gravely turns off the TV. She's all, the time for jokes is 20 minutes past. Now let's focus on, quote, action. Let's suit up. There's a funny montage of all the characters buckling belts and waiting to turn around at the same time. <laughs> then they drive the ectomobile that Leslie Jones stole from, from a funeral home through some music. Leslie Jones is all, by the way, someone's dead mother's in a coffin in the back, but who cares? They drive around some more. Since it's a hearse, the car has a siren on top. So they turn <laughs> So they turn that on, too, so other cars know to swerve abruptly out of their way. When they reach the empty street, a bunch of ghosts of some dead parade floats try to kill them, so they drive away and come back later. As they park, Thor walks across a nearby rooftop and goes, I'm possessed by the Patton Oswalt character right now, so this is how he would talk. Not sure why, since I never met him, but I think uh, your Ghostbusters there murdered him, so he possessed me, since I work for, for you guys. So that's me motivation for this parade here. I think the Door Museum stuff's unrelated. Wigs all. You just got another raise, McCarthy. The cops are still standing around. We're running out of time. McKinnon's all. Her neck turns around in a circle. She throws up chicken soup, fucks a crucifix, and goes, You're going to die up there. <laughs> Leslie Jones is all, This shit be whack. McCarthy's all, Guys, listen. She raises the dusty book and reads, Stance rounded on Peck. Everything was going fine, just fine, until this jerk here shut down our power. Is this true, the mayor asked? Bankman stepped forward, smirking. Yes, Your Honor, this man is a jerk. Chevy Chase leans over to me and whispers, Bankman was originally going to be Tom Selleck, but CBS wouldn't let him out of his Magnum contract. 
Wesley Jones is all, y'all got that right. Wigs all, let's redo this. They defeat the boss fight ghosts by shooting them with CG as usual. Thor shakes his head woozily and goes, Crikesaby, the last thing I remember is me shaking me head just now and saying the last thing I remember is me shaking me head just now and saying something idiotic. A cab screeches to a halt. Behind the wheel, Ackroyd smokes a cigarette. He's all, hey, uh, yeah, I ain't afraid of no invisible man and sleeping in my bed. Uh. Slimer raises its head from Ackroyd's lap and throws up his sperm all over Wig. Ackroyd drives off. Leslie Jones shakes her head. It's a white man's world. In the background, Mike from Veep moves his mouth to say, I can move again and so can the police, by the way. To celebrate Ackroyd's cameo, the Ghostbusters move into the firehouse and hang out. Wig's all, I guess we're a team now. Thor's all, I'm back to normal. He starts trying to get his head stuck in something. The delivery guy's all, Ghostbusters is... 2016 for blowing up those floats far away from here and the mayor calling you all liars. My Chinese restaurant would like to reward one of you with this wonton. He looks at McCarthy and puts his hands in his pockets. Wigs all. My character's come a long way since the first scene. McCarthy's all. I guess that's the whole movie. McKinnon half-heartedly sticks her tongue out and waves her hands around. Leslie Jones opens her mouth to say something. The credits roll. The end. So Kelly, one, uh, yeah, I think adding to your stable of great impressions, you, you do a mean Zach Woods and a pretty spot on Kate McKinnon. Yeah, that's not uh, bad. I also, just, I you made me realize that I wish Kate McKinnon had played Lex Luthor in Batman. Yeah, Superman. seriously, Kate McKinnon and uh, and Lex Luthor would make a bad badass road movie. Yeah, <laughs> that sure would upset the apple cart of top ten comedies. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Superhero movies slash comedies. Now, Dingus, uh, why did you uh, omit the word comedy in the description of Ghostbusters? Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. That seemed strange. Even I would say that this is labeled a comedy. <laughs> it is labeled that. Comedy I section found it my story. Ag- aggressively unfunny. Uh, you, know, I, I, you know, I saw the word comedy again and again as I was writing things down, and I thought, no, I'm not including that word. I think this movie <laughs> sucks ass, and I think it's terribly unfunny. And it it squanders uh, comedic talent to no end. I can't believe how much it does, though. So, yeah, I'm not going to append the word comedy to this movie because I don't think it is one. Kelly Kelly Wan, are you going to stick up for Ghostbusters 2016, directed by Paul Fagg and and written by Katie Dippold? It's not because they're women. That's really a stupid objection. But it's they're not very well-defined characters. The script's not good. It's too restrained. Like, I know the first Ghostbusters wasn't R-rated, but it had oral sex jokes, and it kind of felt like Stripes, because that was Harold Ramis, but that was R-rated. And, uh, yeah, no, it sucks. I, I laughed a couple times, though, but I can't remember what. I have okay. to, like, think back. Did you laugh at all? I kind of liked what they were doing with, with Chris. I liked... Watching Chris Hemsworth try to be funny with that mm. early bit where he's dumb. But At when, first. When you're, but it's a one-trick pony. When your movie counts yeah. then on Chris Hemsworth showing range, like when it tries to do that, yeah. uh, that's not really a wise use of Chris Hemsworth. Like uh, trying to pretend he is uh, taken possessed by Neil Casey. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, but they've already done. Uh, they've already let him make fun of himself as a as a big dopey. Um, super hot dude in Avengers. They did that more subtly there. Uh, they played with him in that way before. Uh, just using the whole part of that is horrible. I mean, it's, 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 there's so many other things they could have done with that role. 
I mean, I like Chris Hemsworth. I think he's probably the best thing about the movie, sadly. But that's, that's the thing. The real issues. I mean, you might as well have just had Annie Potts play it again because she was so much more interesting and so much more, I don't know, funny. And he's Divacious. funny. He's funny enough. It's not his fault. What do you want? <sighs> so, Kelly, I'm with you about the script as well because one of the things that surprised me. Uh, so, so. Paul, is it Fage or Fage? Dingus, how do we say Paul Fage's last name? Because I, I confuse it with Kevin Fage, the, the Marvel fella. Right, right. I do too. Uh, I just yeah. say Paul Fage. So Paul Fage, I've, uh, I mean, we, we all had a bunch of goodwill for him, like when, when he did Bridesmaids. That was amazing. But then Bridesmaids I, great. I think what we come to realize is that Bridesmaids was a script written by Kristen Wiig and Annie Wilmelo. is obviously very close to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, you know, it was their material, and Paul Fage did a great job shepherding it to the screen. But then he's done a procession of things that I – I mean, I think Dingus liked Spy more than I did. I didn't care for Spy much at I all. Too. Uh, the Heat was uh, a Katie Dippold script that he also directed, and I liked The Heat because it seemed like The Heat – the script was specifically written for what Sandra Bullock and Melissa McCarthy right. could do, uh, and it was very self-aware mm-hmm. about these actresses would be playing these parts, and it seemed tailor-made to them. So Kelly wanted to get to your point about the script here. Nothing in this script – like as Dingus says, it just right. wastes so much comedic talent. Nothing in this script says to me, Melissa McCarthy should be playing this role. Kristen mm-hmm. Wiig should be playing right. this role. Like mm-hmm. they're the two, right. and to have them as the straight men, they're interchangeable for the most yeah. part. Uh, they don't. Yeah. There, there are times where the two actresses are are trying to spin out some patter, like the bit about the cat in the bag or the the, the riffing on Patrick Swayze movies, uh-huh. and it just feels so out of place and clumsy because that's what they're having to do in lieu of Katie Dippold's script providing them anything meaningful. Um, so Kelly, right. I'm with I'm with you in that. I just think it's a terrible script. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. And there, and it's and it's being held up as the new Ghostbusters. And the first Ghostbusters was fucking awesome because Bill Murray acted the whole movie like he didn't give a shit about anything that was going on, and his character was hilarious. And but he was still a great. They were all playing really between, distinctive types. Yeah, exactly. Right. You're exactly it was a great right. ensemble too. And he was he, was, his, an, his he was an understandable character. interface between the scientists and the real world. I mean, they they called right. him. Sort of a, a game show host, but but he understood how to be that interface between those. Each one of those characters had a, a had a had a distinct feel and a feel of a character, and they all had a relationship yeah. with each other and a history. And I mean, think think about the relationship between Melissa McCarthy and Kristen Wiig in Bridesmaids. Think about how that relationship develops in that movie, and how touching it becomes, and how distinctive that is, and how there's nothing in this movie. There's no relationship in this movie. Yeah, they're giving nothing. It's such a waste. I was so disappointed. And even the jokes. I, why like, if you were just if you oh go ahead, Kelly. Sorry. No, no, I was just agreeing with both of you. Uh, even if they were to just, you know, given that, yeah, there's no good characterization in this. It's not the parts aren't necessarily written for these actors. Doesn't feel like it. So why then are like the the movie's sense of humor is terrible. And an example of it is when Neil Casey. So by the way, did either of you guys know who Neil Casey was? Who Kelly Wan calls a minor Oswald uh, before this movie? No, no, I I know I I recognize uh, his face, but I don't know what he's from. I don't. So I don't know if he's from other things, but he there's a. Paul Feig did a terrible uh, sitcom for Yahoo uh, called Other Space, which was just a crappy little, just horribly cast sci-fi comedy. The only reason I watched it is somehow 
they got an actor named Trace Ballou and Joel Hodgson from Misty Science Theater 3000 to be in it. So I'm like, yeah, okay, what is this? I want to watch it. Uh, it. It's just horrible. It's wretched and uh, it's it's not funny with one exception, uh, an actor named Neil Casey. And it's the sort of thing like where you go to a crappy community theater play and you realize, you know, you can pick out the one guy who maybe if he had a little bit of talent might be engaging in something. And that was Neil Casey in this horrible sitcom called Other Space. Uh, so, so I like that guy and they do nothing with him. And here's an example of how the script is terrible even at its own jokes. Like he's delivering his little speech to the Ghostbusters when they come in and he has the line about how the dead are going to pester the living. That is the joke, but the script goes on to need to explain the joke and to then sort of hit it a second time. Like if you want to just throw in a funny line, like it's a cute line, the dead will pester the living, to have your super serious villain say that. But to then have Christian Wiig say, ah, I don't think that's the right word, that's not what you do in a script. If, you, no. if, you, if your script is explaining your jokes, you're in trouble, I think. Yeah, yeah. And it's full uh, of that kind Yeah, of and when like Thor – yeah, it's really obvious shit. It's super restrained. And then when Thor's like, oh, I should have worked out more. Right. Like that's supposed to be Neil Casey's character saying that. Would he say well, that? I'm really glad that you said that. Or would that Thor say that? Because we have a listener named Brian Kent who wrote in and said something that – along the lines of what Tan said about Other Space. And I had no idea huh. what in the world Other Space was until I read Brian Kent saying it, and then you, what you just said triggered it. And and he says that he's doing almost exactly what he did in that series, acting like an alien trying to fit in with regular humans. Um, and he's a funny guy. Like he's a, he's a yeah. he's a, like I'd love to see him like in sketch comedy or something. Like the guy is a real talent, and you wouldn't know from this script, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, They're now, see. Okay, I have a confession to make, and I'm curious if this is just me being weird. Uh, <laughs> I didn't think anyone was good in this, but I could not take my eyes off Kate McKinnon. I was fascinated with what she was yeah. doing. I'm not entirely convinced it worked, uh, but I just I she's trying. I guess it's I, that she's I love trying. her. It's, yeah. Okay. So so it's not just me then. Okay. Cause, no, I, I love her. He, she did this thing, um, and I, this is, this is a weird a weird thing, and and I hate Saturday Night Live. I really don't like watching it. Um, and so, and this movie seems to be populated by Saturday Night Live. It seems to be one of those things. But she she does this great video uh, with uh, with a bunch of the female cast of Saturday Night Live from a couple years ago called "Do It on My Twin Bed." And I've talked about this a little bit before, but the 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 joke about the video is that uh, you know I'm going home to my parents' house for you know the holidays. Uh, I'm bringing my boyfriend with me, and I'm and we're going to have sex on my my childhood bed, and, she, and he's going to have to look at all the posters of Duran Duran or 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 Jason Taylor Thomas or whoever on the on the on the wall. And so, and, but she's so funny, she's so good in it, um, and I think I think she's really good in this too um but i'm just not sure she's playing a character um and, and that's she's not reacting that's, anyone well it, it's just i don't the thing is I, the unfortunate thing is that i think she's the she unfortunately has to go up against egon who i think is a, yeah. a totally solid character and this does doesn't when she's doing all that dancing to the debarge song uh and then using a fire extinguisher to put shit out I just don't believe that. I don't believe her as a scientist. I don't. I don't know what. I think she's just mucking. And this is something that Chris Markinson says as well. I mean, and he actually brings this up as something that one of us said uh, about 
uh, one of the Hobbit movies, that it just feels like she's constantly mugging. But like you said, Tom, it's hard to take your eyes off of her. Yeah, and she's funny. She's got great timing. I just don't believe that that's a character. And part of it, too, is just how bad the rest of the movie is and how unfunny it yeah. is. And as Kelly Wan, she is trying. But again, I'm not I'm not convinced that it actually works like it's no. like it's so it's just random stuff and it's random affectations. Like it's not a character like you're saying thing is yeah. it's just Kate McKinnon throwing random stuff in there. And she is funny. I'm with you. Like Saturday Night Live is a, is a great injustice to its often talented cast yeah. uh because saturday night live i think is just where decent writers go to die <laughs> like i think yeah. uh but but you get people like kate mckinnon is is funny and even the girl who plays the mayor's assistant she can be funny these are good actors mm. i think and you give them good material and they can do great things with it but kate mckinnon not given good material so she's just doing weird little quirks that uh, yeah I, a lady told me that her character is supposed to be a lesbian Paul Feig says that. Well, I kind but, of saw a couple of times where it seemed like, yeah, like the, maybe that's a really? joke that they were going for. Yeah, yeah. There's like the same way that they I, do the dopey thing where Kristen Wiig is, you know, uh, just drooling over Chris Hemsworth. I think they were trying to pretend, yeah, that, that Kate McKinnon's character was into to women a couple of times. Well, then great. Make Chris Hemsworth's uh, character a woman and have her drool over him. I don't know what you do with that, and, and who cares. I mean, I'm not saying yeah. who cares. What like, I'm rooting for them to get together. Uh, yeah. I just want her to have a relationship with somebody. I want them to have relationships with each other. I mean, even a throwaway line in the original Dustbusters, where he's like, you remember, this reminds me of that time you tried to drill a hole in your head. I mean, that says volumes about their their history together, and I get no sense of that. No sense of a history about any of these people, as much as they try to do this goofy thing with Melissa McCarthy and Kristen Wiig were like, I won't leave you again, or I left you once, or whatever the hell that is. That, right, who cares about that shit? And it's not funny either. Let me give it's you guys... like they wrote a book and broke up. Who cares? Let me give you guys a, a, an example of where this movie does care about history. So many blind nods to the original. Just blind, unthinking, we're going to throw Unthink- some reference out. Uh, those, like... I. Kelly, was that really Dan Aykroyd as the cabbie? Are you are you serious? Yeah, I did yeah. not notice that. I can't because those that Ernie Hudson and Sigourney Weaver things are almost literally an afterthought. It's like they're just going to mm-hmm. cram those in there. I did not notice that was Dan Aykroyd. And I, I the guy was, who says I ain't afraid of no ghosts and drives off. Yeah, you didn't yeah, notice that was Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd. No, no. I mean Dan Aykroyd, uh, unlike like Dan Aykroyd has uh, aged very differently than, than okay, Bill Murray, very, you might say. Very so, well done, yeah. Uh, yeah, but, but his voice, yeah, uh, yeah. So, but uh, what? Did you, so, uh, yeah, and that Bill Murray appearance uh, was uh, just painfully. Compare that to Zombieland. Uh, I know. I know. Yeah. With that hat, it's like it's like Marlon Brando showing up to the set of Missouri Breaks in a dress and going, "This is what I'm going to wear." You know, I'm, <laughs> like I'm wearing this hat, and then here. Chris Hemsworth has to say, "Yeah, that's a cool hat." And we have a we have a, another listener. We have a bunch of listeners who wrote in this week. We have a listener named Chris Braley who said that the cameos were utterly cringeworthy for him. 
Yeah, there's yeah. A, like that's the that's sure. the opposite of what a cameo is supposed to make you do. It's yeah. supposed to make you think, oh, I'm so grateful this person is here, albeit briefly. Every time one of these happens, they bump me out. Yeah, I was like, I was so embarrassed for the people. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> and even like, even like poor Andy Garcia. Yeah, like they gave him oh. a couple of jokes, and I was like, oh, Andy Garcia, no, do you know oh. what you're stepping in? Oh, that mayor, that mayor scene is so horribly done. It's so unfunny, and it's even in the wrong yeah. place. If you're gonna have it, I mean, if you're gonna even bother to have that scene where they tell them, you know, we're going to negate everything you're doing. You're doing, then they. That should be something they're figuring out later on. This is information they should be dumped, and it's it's totally unfunny. And Kelly, you're right. There's no energy in it, and poor Andy Garcia is just like treading water. I wish they just would have made his assistant be the mayor because she was so much more interesting than he was. And did you know she's a Saturday Night Live chick? Oh, I did not know. I did not know who she was. Yeah, she's totally a Saturday Night Live chick. Yeah, absolutely. She's one of their, I think, main cast members. But yeah, so uh, I didn't know that. Uh, how about, though, all that awesome CG, though? Weren't there some great special effects and action uh, sequences? That's the thing. See, in 84, we'd never even seen CG before, and the, the reason that movie's so funny is that Bill Murray acts like he's bored by CG <laughs> in it. And in this, we're bored by CG, and they're acting like it's great. So it's like 84's Ghostbuster was edgy. Ghostbusters was edgier than this movie, because now we're supposed to go, we're supposed to go, oh, that CG's awesome. The CG in Ghostbusters was fucking a marsh. Like, it was supposed to look dumb. That's what was... <laughs> and it does look it. dumb. I just watched it. Right. I watched it yesterday. It looks totally dumb. It's totally dumb. does it make dumb. it funnier? Does yeah, it, it make does. it still kind of hold up in a weird way? Because Bill Murray now just fits in with the rest of it? Well, the I whole movie holds up because their relationships are so solid. Right. The characters are There's solid. The they're distinct. I mean, they're, they're distinctive characters. You get a sense of who everybody is in a very short amount of time. Um, so stuff like the dogs looking like they're like hopping on like uh, I don't know uh, soap suds. It, it doesn't matter to me. None of that matters to me because their their relationships and the dialogue is so solid. And in this movie, there is just none of that. It's it's horrid. The you know when they're watching. Um, ghosts stream through the city, and and by the way, I, I have no idea what the science of this movie is supposed to be. And, and at some point, I mean, the, it, one ghost get, gets contained, then they just let him out because she wants to impress Bill Murray. Yeah, right. On, yeah, there's no rules. We finally get to a point where the, there are these four, or at least three, at least scientists, super smart scientist women, and what the movie resorts to is them punching ghosts. And shooting them, and the, and the science of the movie up to that point doesn't support that. Uh, I mean, it's just like yeah. we're just going to punch a bunch of ghosts, and all of a sudden the science works for that. Take um, us uh, to any of the listeners. Do any of the listeners try to uh, say like, are is are their comments mostly negative? Is there anyone who enjoyed it or who liked parts of it or said anything? Approved? Yeah, I want to hear defenders. Do you want to hear defenders of the movie? If right. any of the listeners yeah. defended it, yeah. Well, uh, Brian Kent, um, who, who I already mentioned, um, uh, he, he said it took about half the movie for him to get used to it. Uh, but once he did, he, he found it kind of enjoyable. I mean, that's that's his – I don't know if that's damning with faint praise, but that's, he, he finds it kind of enjoyable. He also, um, he also says that most people deride Ghostbusters 2 
uh, as a worthless movie, but he enjoys it a lot. Um, so he enjoys most of 2000, of this Ghostbusters 2006. Um, and, uh, he loves, exa- and again, Tom, he loves reminding that this movie reminds him of, of other space. Uh, but ultimately he's disappointed with it. Um, oh wait, is he oh, speaking approvingly of other space though? He, he likes other space. Yeah, I think he likes it. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Because I thought Other Space was terrible, but uh, okay. Uh, you know what? Maybe if you like Other Space, you would find Ghostbusters 2016 quote kind of enjoyable. <laughs> so fair enough. All right. Uh, Paul Weimer really liked um, uh, Holtzman and I can't, Kate McKinnon. Uh-huh. He really liked what she was doing. Uh, the science of it bothered him. He fo- found it funny that uh, a, a Boston University building was dropped on New York City. I don't know what that means. Um, so there must be they shot at Boston University for one of the the scenes, I guess. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, Speaking real quick, so university, and I want to get back to the listeners. Go ahead. How about that scene? Another embarrassingly unfunny scene, which what was the guy doing the various flipping the bird jokes? Who fires them from uh, the university? Was he supposed to be a comedian we know from somewhere? I don't know, but that scene is embarrassingly bad. Yeah, because that guy is not up. Like, why are we much watching him make jokes about flipping the bird? You know, give that to Yeah, why is he beating the Ghostbusters? Yeah, I just didn't understand what was going on with that. I, I also don't understand the idea of that university. It's supposed to be a cheap-ass university, but it still looks incredibly impressive when you walk outside. It looks like a big building. I mean, put, put it in a trailer or, uh, or put it in a warehouse. Right. Either commit to that joke or go with the first joke or the first movie and, and have it be at the Columbia or something. I mean, go one way or the other. I, I don't get what the joke is supposed to be. That is terrible. These studio chiefs, they don't get that funny – like they want the effects to look awesome, and they don't see how that ruins a joke. So you have like long slow-motion action sequences. When in the first movie – one of the, my favorite things about the first movie is like at the beginning, they're basically like – Bill Murray's like scamming with this – where he's doing the, those ESP tests – and he basically makes his friend like give up his savings. But they're like they turn out to be really qualified scientists, and they like they they trap all those ghosts, and they're like actually kind of professionals. And in this there's like no, I don't know, there's like no training period for them. They all just are suddenly working together, and they know how to use all that stuff. But we don't learn it with Kelly. One, you made me understand why there's that. Kate McKinnon doing the proton pistols akimbo like action sequence like that totally sounds like something the studio is like let's put in a cool slow motion action sequence yeah. so that's why that was yeah. in there yeah alright niggas what else did folks have to say alright so uh, Brian Kent um, Brian Kent took his daughter to it uh, and this is uh, the, I, I, I like that he says this he took his, his daughter she's 12 years old she really really liked it and my son uh my my son's mom took him to it. My son is eleven, and he really loved it too. So maybe that's it's a kids movie. It it might very well be that. So so um, far we we can confirm that uh, if you liked other space, it's quote kind of enjoyable. And if you're twelve, you might also enjoy it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, hmm. And uh, the other thing that uh, Chris. Of uh, course, Chris, Chris Braley says something that I I totally agree with. It it made him watch rewatch the original, which um, which is a good thing, I think. Um, and he thought it was uh, lighthearted and well produced. That's the I think that's the very best thing that Chris Braley has to say about it. But the most interesting thing I think Chris Braley has to say is that 
every man is a jerk or an imbecile in this movie. Um, and he takes uh, issue with that, but I kind of actually like that comment because yeah. in, in most like movies, the, the women, the women are bimbos or idiots. And so that they, they have a, there's a movie where most of the men are jerks or imbeciles. And I, I don't, so I don't, I, if I'm looking for like a silver lining, uh, I kind of actually like that Chris Brelli brought that up. Well, I think a- anybody who's not the, the main character is a jerk or an imbecile, right? Like is there anybody who's competent or reasonable or smart beyond the four main characters regardless of gender? I can't think Ernie of Ernie Hudson we're supposed to go, oh, Ernie Hudson's here. He's Yeah, but that's a, that's a celebrity cameo though. I mean just as far as yeah. the characterizations, I – yeah, I mean, I, I I do like that idea. Like, I and by yeah. the way, I I think it is I I, I am, am uh, morbidly fascinated in the same way I'm fascinated with with Trump running for the the presidential campaign. <laughs> I'm morbidly fascinated with this idea that people would object to four women playing the Ghostbusters. Yeah, I love that they did that. Um, even if it doesn't work, I, I love that that was a, a mandate for this project is let's do it with women in the leads. Let's have a right. – now, I, I'm really bummed out that it's not funny. That sucks. Um, but I am so fascinated with people who take issue with that fact. Like what – the problem with this movie isn't that four women are the leads. That's a, that's a great thing that it's doing. Yeah, yeah. The problem is that it's not funny. Um, yeah. All right, so I'm sorry, Dingus. What else? So, Chris but Ray it doesn't was... make them right. It doesn't make the no, haters. Of course right. not. They're not right, and it's insane. They're still stupid. Uh, yeah, I think anybody who who complains about that is, is it, yeah, that, no, it's, they're idiots, and they hadn't seen the movie. Well, it's pretty. It's, it's pretty bald misogyny to to just uh, right. to just say that without any context, and that you know, there's no. Yeah, it's like it, it's not controversial to say that. It's like saying Donald Trump is a racist. I mean, all that stuff is pretty clear. Yeah. It's there for anyone to see. Right. If you object to the fact that they're doing a Ghostbusters remake with four women, I would question whether or not you're a misogynist. Yeah, that's a ridiculous right. Right. objection to race. And it's like I don't care if you don't like it. Like, if I don't get who they're hurting besides like I'm not going to see this. Like, boo. Like, go ahead. Don't see this. <laughs> so what? I, I actually don't even understand Why? the complaint. Like, is there more to it other than? They're originally men. They should always be men. Like, is that the, the substance? No. Is it because Ghostbusters is a classic, and it's like remaking Harvey? Is there is that the the concept of their? Because well, I didn't really read up on this. Is I there an objection? Is there an actual actual objection? Well, I mean, it's, it's, that's a good question, Dingus. Because I I think probably what's going on, and I actually I, I hate it when this happens, is that maybe you know there were like you know. Ten people on Twitter who said something stupid, and then it got retweeted, and people passed it around, and then the media picked it up. So I'm guessing it's mostly a non-issue because I can't imagine any reasonable person saying that. Right, I can't either. Yeah, and, I think so. and in fact, I went to see it with our friend Alexandra, and she she leaned over to me at one point, and she said, "Hey, this is so much pandering." I mean, she couldn't stand it because of the the way that it was. Not not that it was this like women aren't funny. It just felt pan- like pandering to her. Um, so that that whole idea that we're not going to like it because women aren't funny is I, I can't imagine anybody actually making that objection. I think it was like an opposite sort of we're going to try to do marketing. They know, need to meet more women. That's my advice to them. Because <laughs> some of them are funny. <laughs> wow. What? Is it, I'm dumb. Well, if, you, right, if you'd read that Christopher Hitchens article, Kelly Wand, you might know better. I What's the Christopher Hitchens case? article again? 
What's his oh, thesis? It's, it's, it's uh, you know, he's just well, he was uh, he was a bomb yeah. thrower. He's just sort of throwing out provocative things. But basically, it was. Uh, but I like him as a writer. Basically, it was an article he did for like, GQ or Vanity Fair or something, where where his premise was: uh, women aren't funny. And if oh, you read it, like it's not, it's. Uh, like I, it's sort of like he's just saying something stupid, and he's writing an article about it. And and if I'm not mistaken, I think his central premise or the the point he's trying to make is this idea that biologically men have to do all the preening and the showmanship for for reproductive purposes in a species. That that's not part of uh, like male animals in the animal kingdom are more colorful because they need to attract the female mates and that that is why in in human beings men are funny because humor attracts female mates women don't have to be funny biologically they don't have to do that sort of thing to attract mates they just have to be women oh, okay. uh, so i think that's kind of his point and it, it, it was just a like I said, he's a bomb thrower sometimes, and he was just trying to be provocative. I, I think. I but think it, right. It's it, like women aren't encouraged to be funny. Well, it's it's, uh, mm. and I don't I, like that. I would I would I don't think that was part in his article, but that I, that's an interesting thing. Like women aren't encouraged to pursue STEM careers, for instance. Like so if, you were to, if you were to write an article, yeah, about how women should be encouraged to be funny as well. But Christopher Hitchens was trying to make some weird point about biology. I think. Right. Um, mm, you know. Stone, you're right. Because it's case by case, like everything. Yeah. So, Dingus, did anybody else see it? I'm glad that we're getting uh, listeners writing in, having seen the movies. It's nice to hear more than just the three of us. Yeah, I'm really happy with that too. Um, uh, Christopher Marcus and I said a couple things that he said already. Um, he kind of at the end, he's like, "I feel like I'm being overly negative about everything," um, but he do, he does say that. It's it's amazing how at least the ghosts in this movie compared to the ghosts in the original, you can really see how the technology has come far. Um, and did you guys see the final like the the scene the after the credits? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I did. Yeah. More pandering. Because Chris mentions that. I mean, he says, "Zool, really? Why?" <laughs> For the same reason that there are so many blind nods to the original, I think. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's, is it another nod? Funny. What I wanted to do, uh, what I basically did, is just flip off the screen and say, "Really, you think you're getting a sequel? Good luck." I mean, because that's what that seems to be doing. Like Zool, is that what you're going to do? You're going, you're expecting a sequel because you made a crap movie. Well, that never precludes a sequel, Dingus. Of course, yeah, it yeah you're actually right. But yeah. I do think you're right. I don't think this is doing that terribly well. Uh, although I have to say, it is, uh, it, it is Paul Figg's, Figg's biggest movie, a uh, biggest opening. It is. Oh, it is. Holy yeah, cow! I mean, forty-six million is nothing to sneeze at. Like comedies tend to, you know, he's the kind of guy who makes like you know comedies that open at you know twenty, twenty-five million. And this was is a, Bridesmaids. One of those a sleeper. Yeah, yeah, Bridesmaids. I mean, Bridesmaids did well, but it was definitely something that had legs that took some time to get an audience. Get it? Uh, well, uh, I remember seeing the trailer for Bridesmaids and thinking, "Whoa, this doesn't look terrible," and yeah. and looking forward to it. Uh, but it definitely didn't have. It wasn't uh, like a big event movie, like I think they were hoping Ghostbusters would be. Maybe they um, needed Rose Byrne for this movie. What I think they needed was Wendy McClendon uh, Covey, um, who is the woman in Bridesmaids who has the who has the who's the mother of these like boys who are like putting semen everywhere <laughs> yeah, 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 in their yeah, house. Yeah, right. And she is so funny and so deadpan. And I think it needed I think it needed her as kind of the Egon kind of a character. Just. 
you say that as if Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy aren't like, like it had nothing to do with the actresses not being good. It's yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even if you'd put her in, it, it would have been terrible. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess you're totally right. But I was just, I just, I just kept trying to to solve this by casting. But I think you're, you're. I mean, Tom, you're right. It just, it, it had to be solved with yeah. with writing. Because when you think about it, if, if I were, you know, if you tell me, hey, the people who gave Bridesmaids its heart are now, uh, and they're accomplished comedians and actors, they're going to do a Ghostbusters remake. I'm like, yeah, I'm totally on board. Yeah. 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 Makes sense on paper. Yeah, exactly, Kelly Wand, right. Yeah. Uh, that was the only part that made sense on paper. So what are stop. some uh, over-unders? Dingus, what's a movie that's slightly better than Ghostbusters 2016 and a movie that's not quite as good? All right, so I basically went with waste of talent uh, of ensemble or pair. Mm-hmm. Um, so for an under, I would put uh, just under this the movie Due Date because um, I was really disappointed at the way that Zach Galifianakis and um, Robert Downey Jr. were used in that movie. Uh, it, it really annoyed me. I didn't think their relationship made any sense, and I just thought it was a waste of talent. Mm-hmm. And for the over, I would put um, slightly above it. And this is bracketing. And usually I don't bracket movies I hate. And I really, I hate this Ghostbusters movie. Uh, and I really did not like this movie, but I am going to put it over it. And that would be Hangover 2, uh, which I didn't Ew. like at all. Um, but at least I <laughs> think, Ah, dig us. I know. Ah, but at least damn. I your mouth. Together. I'm sorry. You really hate Ghostbusters. Fuck. I, I hate it. I think it, I actually think it's offensive in a lot of ways. Wow. So yeah, it's really about it. wasting of uh, a talent of an ensemble or pair. Right. That's the meanest thing I've ever heard. All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a little bit mean as well. Uh, I didn't really bracket mine because the thing I put above Ghostbusters I don't think is good, but I it's a guilty pleasure of mine for a couple of reasons. Uh, Above it is the movie Hot Pursuit with Reese Witherspoon and Sofia Vergara uh, because at least that movie – and it's that movie's so terrible for both of them. But at least there are a couple of like ongoing gags that are kind of funny. They make jokes. So, so Sofia Vergara and Reese Witherspoon, they go on the run, and the, the, the law is after them. And Reese Witherspoon is the by-the-book cop. Sofia Vergara is the hot Latina wife of a drug dealer guy. And while they're on the run, they keep seeing on the news references to – uh, like descriptions of them. And there's one gag where each time Sofia Vergara's character is described, they like tack another five years onto her age. Like 35-year-old Latina woman. And the next news thing is like 40-year-old Latina woman. And that's kind of a funny gag. And Sofia Vergara is, is using it and she's running with it. And I think they make jokes too about how each time uh, Reese Witherspoon's character is a few inches shorter. Like <laughs> They're making her more and more demeaning. <laughs> so Hot Pursuit isn't very good, but it has a couple of good jokes, and it knows it is tailored very well to its actresses. Uh, it know, The script knows for whom it is written. Um, so I didn't bracket very well. But underneath Ghostbusters, and this is kind of mean because I feel this is a far, far better movie than Ghostbusters, but I didn't like it at all. And the, one of the reasons people think it's a better movie, and I think this goes for you two, a lot of people really liked uh, what Jason Statham was doing in Spy. Um, I, thought yeah. I, I was kind of okay with it. And, and so for people who might uh. not otherwise enjoy Spy, they at least are like, yeah, we got a really good comedic performance from, from Jason Statham. And I can understand that. Uh, but Spy really had no appeal to me, and the reason it's slightly underneath Ghostbusters is because I couldn't think of any counterpart in Spy – 
and I think you guys might say this about Jason Statham, to my utter fascination with Kate McKinnon and Ghostbusters. Uh, there was nobody in Spy who drew my eye, who I just kept looking at her to see what what is she going to do next? What's going to happen? Like she was just so weird and unpredictable, and like I think of like Jane Lynch creeps me out. I don't understand Jane what? Lynch. Jane Lynch actively frightens me in movies. If you were to just do like if I was to go to like if you just did an HBO one hour special of Jane Lynch's comedy, I would regard it as a horror movie. It would scare me. Uh, so Kate I'm McKinnon make you watch Role Models right now. That's the thing. She freaks me out in role models, right? But so Kate McKinnon is that same thing, but not scary. It's sort of like I don't know if this is funny. It's weird. I don't quite understand it. I'm fascinated by it. So Kate McKinnon is like a less frightening uh, Jane Lynch. I uh, like Jane Lynch's be scariness because she's she's got this weird predatory kind of uh, like aspect about her, especially in role models. Thing is, she's a giant woman. I think she's probably like six foot four or something. I believe. I, I'm just I'm not entirely sure about that. I'm just guessing. But yeah, she's an imposing giant figure. Woman. Yeah, I love, I love her. All right, there's my over under. Uh, Kelly Wand. But Statham is the yeah. Statham is the McKinnon though, I think of Spy. Right, and that's what I, I was going to so. say is he wasn't uh, my McKinnon in Spy. He might have been your McKinnon. He might have been Dingus's McKinnon. Right. He was not my McKinnon. But I, I like that that Obama's you... all our McKinnon. Was that Dingus? I was going to say yes, Dingus. I totally derailed. I don't know what Kelly just said. Something about Obama. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like that you put it on. You put Spy under this, right? Yes, yes. Because I would rather, truth be told, I would rather watch Ghostbusters again for Kate McKinnon than Spy again. Well, I, I like that. At first, I was like, wait a minute, uh, but but I kind of like it because um, Spy is just kind of relying on us knowing who he is. I mean, he doesn't have to do anything but show up and be Jason Statham. Yeah, but his lines are kind of funny. His shtick. I mean, he it's it's yeah. kind of like an extended cameo. Uh, he's doing all of these things that he's, you know, transporter guy or or whatever. Right. Um, and Kate McKinnon has to has to spin all of this out of whole cloth. So yeah, I can see you stacking those that way. That's a good. I, I, okay, I I'm, I'll go with you on that. And that's another thing. Like, I don't. Are you guys with me in that I'm I'm. Anxious, yeah, not anxious. I'm eager. I'm looking forward to seeing the next movie that that uses. It's a utilitarian way to put it, but that's the what it is. I'm looking forward to seeing the next movie that uses uh, Kate McKinnon. You know, what what, what are you going to do with her in a movie? I want to find out. Yeah, I think she. I think she's got something. I would really yeah. like to see her in more stuff, and I would like her to like her like to see her actually play a real character. I think I mean, is it is it enough to make you want to watch Saturday Night Live more often? No, I can't stand that show. <laughs> I mean, other yeah. than the odd the, the video thing that I referenced earlier, which I think she's hilarious in. Um, yeah, no, thank you. I I I, I really I, I, I'm not a big sketch comedy fan, but uh, Saturday Night Live, I just can't abide it. By the way, did you know, Dingus, that Katie Dippold comes from initially Mad TV? Do you know what show she worked on after Mad TV before she made it big with the uh, the script for The Heat? No. A little show called Parks and Recreation. Mm, I've never heard of that. Who's in <laughs> but that's I, you know, I, it does make me wonder. Well, Katie Dippold can be good. Why? Yeah. What happened here? I don't know. Maybe they just didn't want to do it. Maybe they're just like, all right, we'll do Ghostbusters. It does kind of have the feeling of that in a way. Well, yeah, Dingus, what, what, what do you think? I don't know. I think it just it wound up in a big pot of soup that had too much water in it. I mean, it's yeah. just too much stirring, too much water, too many chefs. It just there was just nothing distinctive about them. Uh, and no go, oh, Kelly Wan, you stole my joke. I was going to say, there, Kate McKinnon is the wonton in this. <laughs> yeah. uh, 
right. Kelly Wand, what are your overs and unders for this movie? Uh, I did 80s remakes, mm-hmm. so my <laughs> over is A-Team, which oh. I think I was a detractor of, but in I like it more in memory. Yeah. I, I might have been. There's it some really good Charlton now. Copley in that, isn't there? Yeah, we've got it's funnier than Ghostbusters. Some classic, uh, classic uh, Bradley Cooper. There's Liam, Liam Neeson. The yeah, Liam Neeson. The tank thing. It's it's Joe Carnahan. It's the director of one of your favorite movies, Kelly Wand, The Gray. Yeah, seriously. Uh, so Joe Carnahan. He can be funny. Yeah, that's true. Actually, the, the Gray's proof he can be funny. But <laughs> oh, oh, burn. Oh God. Six freeze. <laughs> but remember when Beale and A Team's all. They're trying to steer it, like, disgustedly about the tank. (laughs) (laughs) Those assholes. (laughs) Uh, And my Anders is a Poltergeist remake, which has... You didn't didn't actually see that, did you? Yeah. Did you watch it? Of course. What do you mean, did I watch it? Of course I watched that. Do you remember the the nail gun part? Or whatever? Uh, No, the part where the, the drill on the wall. Remember that part? Mm, vaguely, is there like blood count or no? What is that? No, there's no blood. That's the thing. It's like this, the pol- the old poltergeist is gorier than the new one. Oh well, yeah, yeah. Of course. This is a PG-13 and it's a sanitized poltergeist. Right, right. Of course, it was Sam- super sanitized. Sam Rockwell and who? Who is the woman? Not Rose Byrne. Ah, uh, can't remember. No. Okay. Someone dumb. All right, so anyway. that's that's your under. <laughs> Now, Kelly Wand, uh, so with this new Ghostbusters movie, a lot of times you're able to cull dating advice from movies. Is there anything that you learned about uh, dating from Ghostbusters 2016? Uh, Kate McKinnon and Slimer, I'm their child. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees, I'm between counting. One, two, three, speed apart, by the way, I didn't make that up just now. I I spent all night on that. So. <laughs> I, uh, I just heard a succession of words that. Uh, okay, th- those work. <laughs> now, before we we uh, before we move on to religion, I, I have a little science I want to bring up. Dingus, you told me that your girlfriend, Alexandra, who is an actual bona fide rocket scientist, takes issue with my favorite line in the movie, which is, how can you say no to these salty parabolas? That she takes issue with, uh, with Pringles being described as parabolas. Right. What, what, why are they not parabolas? Because I, I, I don't, your girlfriend would, I, anybody who knows rocket science would agree with me on that whole circumference thing. So, I know. What do you mean that whole circumference thing? What are you talking about? This idea that the Earth there's infinite circumference. Yeah, that the Earth doesn't oh. have a single circumference. Uh, I've explained that. I'm on the Infinite's right. History history has vindicated me on that one. Uh, the it's whole supposed th- to be a measurement, though. Never right. mind. Uh, furthermore, history has vindicated my Dwayne Johnson thing, I believe, as well. That uh, no. Yeah, sure, absolutely. I'll give you circumference before Dwayne Johnson. Okay, fair enough. I'll take even a mathematician with. <laughs> I bet you'll get circumference. But uh, why are that? Because that that is another example too of how weird the movie was. Is they throw in a shot of it doesn't even really belong. It's just a shot of Kate McKinnon, and I'm not even sure if it's project placement because I think the name Pringles is actually below the frame. I mean, she's obviously eating Pringles, but I couldn't tell if it was a product placement. I don't even know if it was a joke. It was just a weird line. Product misplacement. Yeah, like I don't know what that was, but 
why does she say they're not parabolas? Because I'm open to being corrected on what parabolas are. Why are they not parabolas? By the way, uh, I brought a little you – know, my, my son came back from a trip, and there was a little – one of those mini canisters of Frankel's that I put on the counter because you know, he came back, and I took everything out of his backpack. I packed all of his snacks up into – airtight containers because we are overrun with ants all of the time because this is California. And Tom looked at that and goes, oh, look at those salty parables. I mean, it sounded just like Rick Moranis. And I have no idea what he's talking about. And right, he, you hadn't seen the movie yet, right? Yeah, yeah and he spent all the, uh, like, uh, the next couple of days. Uh, salty parables. I think it's I was incepting you, hoping, the, hoping that you might enjoy that moment more. And so I was sitting there watching the movie, taking my notes assiduously, as I do. And, uh, and all of a sudden, there's that line. Can you? What does she say? Can you? Uh, can you resist these salty parabolas? How can you say no to these salty parabolas? And then I was like, "All right, thanks." Tom says Tom. that a lot. Click. And before I could even write anything in my in my little uh, journal, um, Alexandra leaned over to me and said, it, "It's it's not a parabola. It's a saddle function." So yeah, that's way over my pay grade. <laughs> I'm, gonna have to uh, I'm gonna have to take her word on that one. <laughs> so the the difference between the two of these are, and I asked this because I knew that this was going to come up. Uh, a parabola is a two D shape, a two dimensional shape, but a saddle function, if you imagine the way a saddle works, oh. works is a three D element. Oh god! And so a parabola, while a two dimensional function, uh, a saddle function is a three D element. That – wow. Well done. Well done. What they call it before saddles? Bareback? What they call it before saddles? Bareback. Bareback function? Yeah. Mm. So it, I, it, I just got one of those in Bangkok. Basically, for, it's two parabolas, an A, B, and a C, D, and they go – and they have to actually form something that's 3D called a saddle function. So that's why she objected, and immediately – it was immediate. It was great. No, that's good. That's good. Uh, now I don't I – don't, I like the line less. Uh, all right. All right, well, let's move on. Uh, to but re- nevertheless, I will never eat a Pringles the same way again. Yep, exactly. Because in England, they don't even Tom, think of potatoes. It's just a potato product. Tom, string theory is 13 dimensions, right? If that was a joke, I didn't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I was going to say, at what point, at what dimension do you start getting confused? The, We're already there. Uh, from 2 yeah, to 13. I understand the fourth. I don't know what the fifth dimension is supposed to be. The fourth dimension is time, right? That's a real thing. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what the fifth dimension is. Is there a such thing? I think it's Lionel Richie. The fifth one is like if there is two cubes next to each other, but then it starts getting tricky. I start getting confused at six. Okay, what? Well, let's just do it. Let's move cults. on to religion now. Yeah, so uh, these are your creepiest cults. I was going to say favorite All right. cults. Why do you keep saying religion? Because I had a lot of trouble this week. Just thinking about what, where's the dividing line between a cult and a religion? So you, you, oh. you've now twice said, let's move on to religion. Well, a cult is a religious group. I mean, so I, I, I don't, well, I, no, no. I mean, it's not. Would you what? say a the would you say Catholicism is a cult? Well, no. I was gonna, I was gonna specify a cult yeah. is a, it's okay. a religious group that you basically use. Uh, and I'm just being a little bit glib here, but basically a cult is a religion that you don't like. Um, but no, a cult is uh, – it's, it's technically it's – a, it's a religious group that's like an aberration, generally like a small group 
uh, not even a fringe group because like Heretics. like I don't think – would you call the Baha'i a cult of Islam? I don't think so. It's like a, it's like a, a sect in Islam. So a okay. cult tends to be a small religious group that exists outside of the, the framework of an, of an actual larger religion or that is in a, an aberration of a larger religion. But it's a small, uh, a suspiciously regarded religious group. And I wouldn't even say ISIS is a cult. ISIS is a, a yeah, terrorist Yeah, a death cult. But can you have secular cults mm. that are that are religious. not religious? Well, I get. I think the idea of a cult is they venerate uh, something or someone. So, so yeah, like supernatural. Yeah, could uh, you like, have like an environmental cult? No, I would say no. No, no. I mean, I think it does definitely uh, involve veneration or or some sort of fetishistic worship. Uh, but I don't think feeling strongly about agenda, like a political movement, I don't. I don't think is a, is a cult. Right. Like I, try, I tried to watch something. Rituals. I, yeah, rituals. I tried to watch something this week w- with that in mind, uh, and I think you're right about that. But I'm just interested that you keep saying religion. Now, uh, I am open to, to folks wanting to suggest things like, hey, environmentalists are, are cultists. What I'm not going to be open to and what the three-by-three police are going to be on patrol for, <laughs> if, you, if you just like aren't into Christianity or whatever, and that's totally cool. You know, I'm, I'm not uh, – you know, I'm, I don't consider myself Christian either. Uh, that's fine, but don't try to sell me on – in your three-by-three three that Christianity is a cult. You know, I'm – you know, it, you know it, an actual religion is not a cult. That's – we all know what a cult is. These things aren't going to be any surprises for the most part, our choices. Uh, but I don't want anybody to say, hey, the the cult in uh, the spotlight, the Catholic Church molesting children, they're a cult. You're going to get pulled okay. over. You're going to get arrested. You will be thrown in three-by-three three prison. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm not looking to, to nail anybody on what a cult means, uh, but I think we know – Also creepy. Right, right, exactly. And the, 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 the implication, again, not best, not favorite – not one you'd like to join, uh, but I want a creepy cult because that's part of, I think, the definition of cult as well. Is something that seems to be slightly sinister. Uh, uh, all right. I might get pulled over twice. But oh, all right. Well, Kelly Wong, <laughs> let, me, let me get my ticket book. For other different reasons. Well, next week's 3 by 3 is going to be introduced by you, Dingus. So, Dingus, start us off. What's your third creepiest cult in a movie? All right. I'm not going to do any um, lines from it. Uh, because there's just, I, I think that uh, I'm afraid with the things that I've chosen that the, the choices are too narrow, and I don't want just uh, us guessing. Up, you guys having to guess uh, a bunch of like, oh, well, let's just guess a bunch of bunch of, <laughs> right. uh, you know, movies with uh, cults in them. I'm going to start throwing out names. Right, right, right. Uh, so I'm just going to go with. Uh, I mean. These are my three favorites, and uh, I really I, I watched a couple other things this week. I'm not just going with easy things that uh, that I like, um, but I'm gonna have to go with House of the Devil uh, for my. Oh first. yeah, yeah, no, yeah, that's exactly that's absolutely a cult. Uh, like it's more than like you find out there's a, an agenda there. So Dingus, you're making me not like my list as much. Nice work. Um, so I love this cult, and why? Uh, and what I tried to do was try to figure out well, why. Why is this creepy to me? Why is this so creepy to me? Why does that affect me? Um, uh, there's another movie that somebody might uh, might bring up later on that uh, this movie calls to mind that I'm not going to bring up now in case somebody else brings it up later on. But I like the way that this movie deals with um, that uh, that entirely creepy. Uh, uh, I don't want to use the word rapey because it makes rape seem like a funny thing. Um, but they, uh, the, 
the impregnation of somebody on a, by a satanic cult. And I couldn't find out what the name of the cult was in House of the Devil. Uh, but this is the 2009 one, of course. Um, and the way that that movie resolves itself uh, I mean, I love the way the movie works all together. As you guys know, I'm not a horror aficionado like you guys are. Uh, but I love the way that this movie works. I love Tom Noonan in it. Um, I love Greta Gerwig in it. I love Jocelyn. I can never remember her last name. Damn it. Help me. Donahue. Jocelyn Thank Donahue. you. Jocelyn yeah, Donahue. Yeah. Don, yeah. Darn it. Uh, um, uh, and I love the, I love the, the visuals in it. And I love that, those final moments in the movie that I think, uh, work so well for this, this, this utter creepiness for how the movie ends. Um, and the way that, that cult. And one of the things that was, that's interesting to me is that, um, I was kind of like, talking about this topic with Alexander this afternoon, and she said, well, one of the things about a cult is, uh, isn't it sort of directly proportional to how much you feel about the protagonist? Um, and that really kind of made an impact on me because how you feel about the protagonist in a movie is often how you feel about, um, and especially in this kind of situation and the creepiness and the scariness of, of these types of things that, you know, Tom was talking about it being, you know, he didn't want to label it as favorite or best. He wanted to talk about creepy and scary, I think. Uh, and one of the things that, that, that this makes me feel about is, is, is how would I feel in that situation? Do I, do I identify with that person? Uh, can I imagine myself in that situation and how, horrible does that make me feel uh but in sort of a cathartic way so uh that her going through that that situation of having to make money to to get her new house uh to to actually be able to put that check you know to write the check that she's going to have to write uh and all the the horrible situation that she's living in in her dorm and then going through all of that and everything that she goes through um I mean, I can totally, I could understand that. I can understand what she's going through. Uh, and so that's one of the things I like about this topic, Tom, is, is kind of figuring out, well, how would I, how would that work for me? Uh, how would I fall victim to this? How would, how would this relate to me? Um, part so of that's, what, that's why I like this topic. Uh, part of what I think makes that cult work, at least for me personally, and why I love this pick and I'm kicking myself for not thinking of it, uh, is how inherently creepy Tom Noonan can be. But also – and I, you probably don't have much of a frame of reference for this thing – is uh, Mary Warnoff, uh, who worked yeah, a lot with Paul, Bart yeah, mm -hmm. Paul Bartel with like the Death Race movie and Eden Raoul, uh, like she comes with some actress baggage as well. Like when I see her and Tom Noonan in a movie, like I – you know they're they're creepy. I associate them with creepy movies, and there's this innate creepiness to having them show up in a movie uh, that does a great job lending creepiness to that cult in, in House of the Devil. Yeah, uh, Dingus, did you ever watch that segment from the horror anthology Holidays? The Father's I, Day one? Yeah, yeah. No, I didn't. <sighs> I know I didn't watch it. <sighs> I know. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't even get told about it by my so-called horror light aficionado friend, Tom. Uh, Kelly, I would assume you might have seen it. There's a horror anthology, which is mostly terrible, um, called Holidays, where each of the segments uh, – Kelly, you would like the Valentine's Day one, I think, uh, where each of the segments is based on a different holiday. Uh, and I'm thinking now there's a, 
a weird cult in the Mother's Day segment. Uh, mostly, it's not a good anthology. Kelly Wan would like the Valentine's Day one, and you both would like the Father's Day one because uh, of an actress named Jocelyn Donahue, and that's all I'm saying. Uh, oh. I like all things Jocelyn Donahue. Well, Is you it don't, new? You do, Holidays uh, came out this year. It's like it was a video-on-demand release. Um, but uh, yeah, just I, I don't even I, – any horror, anybody who's into horror, and it's 12 minutes long. Uh, it's just the short called Father's Day from uh, Holidays. Even if you don't like it, uh, I just think it is a great example of uh, A, great acting, uh, B, really good direction, and C, uh, some really restrained, tasteful, effective writing. Uh, and I can see a lot of people watching it going, what? And that's kind of in a way what makes good horror. <laughs> like it won't work for a lot of people. Uh, but Jocelyn Donahue, you guys, jerks. Ke- Kelly, I'm including you in this jerk uh, uh, insult for having not seen the Father's Day segment in Holidays. Hmm. Well, think, I'm sorry that you didn't tell me about it. About <laughs> All right, your apologies accepted. I'm a jerk. Yeah, <laughs> accept my apology. Well, Kelly, Wan, as, the, uh-huh. yeah, go ahead. Is the St. Patrick's Day one leprechaun themed? <laughs> they haven't. They have an Easter Bunny one that is basically leprechaun. I was going to ask my other one, yeah. yeah. Wait, what? That one's leprechaun? Uh, kind that's of. It's weird. like, what if the Easter Bunny was a monster? Like, that's their gag for the Easter one, yeah. Hmm. Well, well, Kelly Wan, to make up for you having not seen Holidays because I didn't tell you about it, why don't you give me your third creepiest cult from a movie? My number three favorite cult creepiest is in the motion picture Cobra. Uh <laughs> <laughs> and this is actually a real pick, I believe. Yeah. 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 Um, there's like a secret cult, and like bankers belong to it, and housewives, and gardeners, and clowns, and they all get together in a <laughs> sewer, and they like do jumping jacks with sledgehammers. No, with axes. It's axes, right, Tom? I, like, I don't remember. Call. You're making me want to see Cobra again. Like I, I remember the opening. I remember some of the lines, but I don't remember any of this. Like him going up against a cult. This makes me want to see it. That's what's the best thing about it. Is like he's supposed to be like the stupid liberals won't let me fight crime. And it's like, <laughs> and he chews a matchstick because he's tough. And he, oh, yeah, like, that. Yeah, and he's got he's some old. Angry. He drives like some fifties. Yeah, and he's. Yeah. He's got this great yeah. shifter that enables him like to shift it into like reverse and a moment's notice and do this whole chase in reverse. Why? Why do you know this? Because I I saw that in a the theater when I was like with when yeah, I, was, I did too. Like, I did school to see it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you, you saw it with your dad. It's like a Earth <laughs> shifter, like the, the shifter they use on Star Trek to go into warp drive. I think it's that's, a good dad movie. Yeah, I'd totally watch that with, with the dad if I was listening to this. But also when he he cleans his gun while he's watching Toys R Us. And he wears sunglasses for gunfights. And uh, there's like a big shootout in the grocery store at the beginning, and guys shooting at him. And he's like near the beer, so he just opens a can of beer and drinks. <laughs> oh, awesome. It's tough. Kelly Wanda, the great he, pick. When he pulls up, like all the cops have to move out of his car's way because he's like, <laughs> he like parks really hard. But the cult, as far as I know, I'm not sure what their aims are because I think the most of it's just like, Bridget Nielsen's a supermodel witness is a murder, so he has to protect her. But the cultists get together and they do like jumping jacks with the axes and the sewer. And uh, I think that's all they do, really. That's yeah, that's a terrible. Kind of, that, that, I don't know what that would do for your membership roster. Like, does that make people want to join you? That's, yeah. So it's like the only answer we could have to that is yeah. the liberals got to get out of the way because these cults are going to take over. Right, right. Like the axe cult. Like joining a frat. 
Yeah, it's more like hazing in a liturgy. Yeah. I'm, not, yeah, I'm not sure they have the right idea for how to run a cult. He's the cure to that disease, <laughs> the right. disease of Catholicism. I'm the disease, you're the cure. That's what that line means. Like, he's, you see. Yep. Okay. Uh, I want to change my choices because I accidentally opened the email list for reader picks, and somebody referenced one of their picks in their subject header, and I'm now – boy, if I thought I was kicking myself for not thinking of House of the Devil, one of you guys better pick this one that I'm seeing is all I'm saying because I missed it. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's a huge omission. Instead, I went with for my number three pick because this is – it, it's really a movie about an actual cult. Uh it's just so weird and unexplained. And the thing is, when you say a lot of how you feel about a cult, uh, or when Alexandra pointed out, it has to do with how you feel about the protagonist, this movie's kind of an exception to this because the protagonist is creepy and the cult itself is creepy. And it's, uh, it's Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master, where mm. the, the cult is clearly a reference to Scientology. Uh, and Scientology, absolutely a cult. Uh, a bunch of weirdos. They uh, are they're, they're, I, I think Scientology is sinister. There aren't that many of them. Uh, I had no idea how many Scientologists there are in the world, but it's not it, it's not nearly as many as they would have you think. There are apparently only like ten thousand in the U.S. and there are negligible numbers in other countries. Uh, like I, I for because if you look at their presence here in Los Angeles, for instance, and their celebrity uh, front men. Um, you would think, yeah, Scientologists are all over the place. But no, they're a little tiny weird cult, and I like that the master is clearly about just the weirdness of of Scientology. Uh, and I like just how weird scenes are, like uh, the the interview stuff, and that's actually a technique in Scientology where uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is asking Joaquin Phoenix these weird questions and throwing in stuff about – I think an aunt who molested him and just these rapid-fire questions. The weird scene where he has him walking back and forth between two walls, it makes no sense. And it's just crazy weird stuff, and it's creepy because it makes no sense. Um, so that's my third favorite creepy cult. Uh, didn't get to rewatch the movie, I'm afraid. I started when we did our 3 by 3 on sand because of the scene where Joaquin Phoenix has sex with sand early on in the movie. Uh, but I didn't get to rewatch it this week. So there's my third creepiest cult. Dingus, what is your second creepiest cult? Uh, my second, um, again, I, I think the, my my second and first are going to be pretty obvious, uh, but I couldn't avoid them. They better uh, be. They better be because I've, I've missed a big one. Uh, my second one is uh, Martha Marcy May Marlene. Thank um, you. Yes, very good. And you should have made Kelly Wan say the name, by the way. Uh, you're right. I should have said that. Too. Magdalene, Megan. Um this, uh, part of it is that final – the final moment in the movie, but part of it is and – and I feel a little weird about this, that uh, that that these these cults of mine all are victimizing women, um, and this one in particular, this weird uh, – this weird thing that develops as far as her getting uh, victimized, raped by the cult leader um, – uh, so I, I don't know that I'm I'm necessarily gearing it toward that, but for some reason, uh, my cults all deal with 
basically some of the same stuff, the, the, this victimization. Um, but that, that's kind of what a cult does. It breaks you down and then, and then builds you back up into a family. And that's what this weird thing that happens in Martha, Marcy, May, and Marlene is this, is this strange family commune that happens. And there were a couple other movies that I looked at this week that I was hoping that would have some of this same feel to them, but didn't quite, and nothing could knock this out of the number two spot. Uh, and I really, uh, I, I like the way that she's such a, a, a damaged individual. Like, I also kind of like how Sarah Paulson, um, who is her uh, sister, I guess, right, um, uh, reminds me of Kristen Wiig. Um, I'm not quite sure what to do with that. Uh, but uh, seeing Ghostbusters and thinking about Sarah Paulson, I think that's her name, uh, reminds me of Kristen Wiig um, and the way that their relationship works and how how strange that relationship is with Hugh Dancy. Uh, because since first seeing Martha Marcy May Marlene, I've seen the whole... Um, of Hannibal and, and got this weird other association with Hugh Dancy, and I really kind of like that actor a lot. But just watching him in this movie uh, gave me a whole different view of him. Uh, but the way that she's taken into this cult and sort of uh, pulled into it and how they do that writing on the wall whenever they have to answer the phone uh, and the renaming the renaming thing of this cult, um, all of that that stuff, uh, and again, that, that idea of, um, I, I find her a sympathetic character. I find her a vulnerable character and I wonder well, what would happen to me if I were put into that situation. Uh, so yeah. Already, this is a far better cult than the folks in Cobra because they have to do jumping jacks with an ax in the sewer. If you're in this cult, you get to listen to John Hawks sing Jackson Frank songs. Mm-hmm. That's an awesome thing. I, that almost makes me want to join up. And you also do a lot of like gardening. Yeah, well, sure. You got to, you know, the self-sustaining thing. Absolutely. Right. Wait, we don't know that the Cobra guys don't garden. They have axes. Maybe they. Have we also too. don't know that they bring in John Hawks to. We don't know whether they bring in John Hawks to do musical numbers from time to time. Yeah, because they clank the axes together, which means they have a sense of melody. <laughs> uh, that would be rhythm. And rhythm, whatever. Nerd. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so that I can't believe I missed that one. Kelly, one. What was the name of the movie Dingus was just talking about? I thought of it. It was Martha Mastering uh, Maldron's Mulravian. I thought for sure you two would pick this one because I, I love this movie. So I yeah. thought of it. I did think of it, but I go someone else is going to pick it, and then I don't really want to like talk about it too. I just want to hear someone else describe. Yeah, I completely it. spaced on it. I can't believe. Um, just dumb. I am just right. dumb. That was a terrible oversight on my part. That was yeah. a hard thing about this. This I'm lazy. This, <laughs> this thing because I kept worrying about what you guys were going to choose and thinking I should choose something different. Well, well you know, I'm uh, actually going to I'm going to do engage in a little revisionist history and say, oh yeah, I could have picked it, but they're not, it's not as creepy as the three cults I did pick. Okay, good. good. There, there you go. That's my official answer because actually they're like. Uh, Who's, there's an actress in it I love named Louisa Krauss. Do you know who she is, Kelly Wan? Do you might know who she is. Mm-hmm. No. Seems like you'd be into her. Um, she's in it, so you get to be in, in the cult with her. I think Brady Corbett, isn't he one of the cult members? And, of course, John Hawks is just so – I mean he's so magnetic as, as an actor, and they really play on that in the, the movie. Um, so, Remember the guy that's in the salad? Ew, no. Oh, oh wait. Who's working? Wait, No. He's the asshole of the cult. 
Why is he spitting? Whose salad is he spitting in? They're like they're like in somebody else's house. They break. Yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you meant for the salad they have to eat. No, okay. Yeah, no, they're not there yet. So that's why I didn't pick it. It's not because I didn't think of it, but because they're not as they're kind of I yeah they're not as creepy as the ones I picked. That's why I didn't choose it. Of course. What was your third one again? It was the master Philip Seymour Hoffman. what? That he was a creepier call. Way, way creepier than John Hawks, absolutely. Did you see Going Clear? Sounds like a documentary. Yeah, it's a documentary about <laughs> yeah, psychology. So no, I, I, I like to watch movies, Kelly Wand. I don't watch a lot of documentaries. I prefer my knowledge in fictional form. <laughs> <laughs> I read all my news that way. Uh, there I is – Wait for Spotlight and go, oh, that happened. Uh, there is a podcast I listen to sometimes called uh, – oh, shoot. It has some silly name like, oh, no, it's Ross and Carey. But it's these two people, <laughs> these two really affable people who will do uh, like you know hour or so long podcasts every few weeks looking into some like supernatural oh, yeah. or new agey kind of thing. Like, hey, do pyramids really heal you or right. uh, what – do, do boner pillars – do boner pills work? Right, you know what's the deal with Ouija boards? Uh, and they did a bless their hearts. They went through uh, many, many hours of kind of joining up with Scientologists and taking the classes. Ugh. And they did. It's got to be like at least eight episodes just on Scientology relating the experience. Uh, and it's real yeoman's work. I mean, the fact that they did this. And that they're just so upfront with just how ridiculous these people are, and how how blatant a money grab it is, and how manipulative they are. Um, so at any rate, that's why I was thinking of Scientologists lately, and that brought the master to mind. So, but I want to tell you guys about my second creepiest cult in the movie. Wait, wait, I didn't wait. do mine. Yeah, oh, Kelly. Shoot. But before I do that, I would like to know what Kelly's <laughs> second creepiest cult is. <laughs> Kelly, one, you better uh, not steal this because I think I might be stealing it. I doubt. I s- it's, it's also Cobra. <laughs> <laughs> By way of uh, brain scan. No. Uh, I doubt – I doubt this is on anyone's list but mine. But here's a quote from it. Over here. That's a Kate Bush song. Is what I think. All right. Are you talking about the Jawas? Are they a cult? No, the Jedi are called. Yeah, okay. We're going to have to contend about this because I was wondering about whether Jedi or Sith could be considered a cult. Your the sad Jedi devotion. Make a case for it, yeah. Okay, your sad devotion to that ancient religion. So I was actually talking about that today, so I'm really happy you brought this up. Go for it. Here's, here's, what, here's my case for them being a cult, a okay. creepy cult. Mm-hmm. They're well, not all, allowed to lie. First of all, what movie are we talking about? Star Wars, the motion picture. Or okay, wait, Star, Wars. Star Wars, the motion picture. <laughs> But all my case is from the first two movies. Star Wars. Say, there's there's one movie called Star Wars. You can just say Star Wars. And we know you can just say about. Star Wars. Yeah. we're not we're not a bunch of new hopists on this podcast. We're not a member of that cult. Uh, yeah. It's I just call episode five episode five too. I don't even count Empire Strikes Back as the title. But anyway, so the Jedi they're not allowed to love and. In Empire Strikes Back, you're only allowed to join if you go AWOL in the middle of your battle, as I pointed out last week. And if you try to rescue your friends, you suck. And if you get your hand cut off, you graduate. That's how you graduate from it. So you have to get your hand cut off to graduate from Jedi Academy. Dingus, how it's do you feel? If, Dingus, if this was your topic, what would be, and you were asked to rule on Kelly Wan's pick, 
How would you react? What's your reaction to him picking Star Wars and the Jedi? Uh, I would I would uh, I would rescue Leia and I would put Kelly where Leia was, and then we would all jump into the trash compactor. <laughs> now, now here's the why I am actually gonna go. Why I'm kind of on board with what Kelly's getting at, Dingus, because uh, I, I think the universe of Star Wars, we're supposed to believe that the Empire really is running a huge galactic empire, and for the most part. They have control of the government. They have the hearts and minds. Uh, they are in charge of the – they have the biggest mind share in the galaxy, if you will, whereas the Jedi are a small outsider group. That The bulk of people in the Star Wars galaxy universe might think of Jedi as weird outsiders who worship the, the Force. That's not the movie's perspective. So from that regard, Kelly Wand, you're crazy. But if you were to try to turn it around and look at it from the – you know, the average imperial citizen on Coruscant would clearly think, eh, those Jedi, they're a weird cult. I don't want any yeah. part of that. Uh, not allowed to love. Not allowed to love. Not allowed to not love. Allowed to, uh, yeah, I forgot about the not allowed to love I thing. think this is – I'm Kelly Wand, I'm guessing this is prequel nonsense, right? That's yeah. that well, yeah, really I'll can't be in Star Wars Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi. Yeah, it's not. That's all. I mean, that, I mean one of the main things that I think bolsters Kelly's ideas is uh, is Anakin killing all those kids. I mean, but but then it, for me, it was wondering, well, is it, do we differentiate between Jedi and Sith, or is it all the same religion? I mean, what do you do? What do you do with defining it as a cult? Well, ideally, you pick a movie that actually has cults in it that you can discuss. But if you're Kelly Wand, you you decide you sort of reimagine the Jedi as a cult from the perspective of an imperial citizen, and that I will accept. Um, but I don't know what are I, I. So I consider myself a fairly knowledgeable Star Wars nerd. I'm not sure I could tell you what the Sith are. Dingus, you could probably answer that question. What what are the Sith? Is it a group of like I know Darth Vader's like the dark Sith Lord, isn't he? Yeah. What's a Sith? Why do I not know this? I don't know. It's about five pounds. <sighs> do you really well, not know? Like, I don't. No, I, 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 I don't Sith know like... how to answer that question. But, uh, but no I do. No one knows. I never say the movies. I, when I was considering this as a pick, and I loved it, I'm so happy that Kelly brought this up. Is is that moment on the Death Star where he says, "Your sad devotion to that ancient religion really does sort of nudge it over into the land of cult," because it it it, it gives the idea that. Obi-Wan and Darth Vader are both in this in this guy who is a military dude. They're both bracketed in the same little group. You might be on this end of the bracket, you might be on that end of the bracket, but you're both sad devotees of this devotees, the devotees of this ancient religion and so f you all. So it it does have that sense of cultiness to it. Wait, that that's not it. That's not wait, the Han Solo said, no, who says sad devotee to an ancient religion? The guy, the guy, also calls it hocus pocus. No, no, it's the it's the guy that that Darth Vader chokes. He's like your sad oh. ancient religion has not given Admiral you points Mike. enough to, you know. Okay, okay. So your sad potions. It really it does have this feel of of worm tongue, of uh you know Grandma Tarkin is is here trying to rule everything and there's this 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 dude who is running everything kind of behind the scenes and this guy who's a military guy is saying you know you know stop it your sad devotion he hasn't given you clairvoyance enough to do and then Darth Vader chokes him further l- lending credence to the idea that yeah this is a cult and I have you know these these powers. 
So Dingus, did, I kind of like that pick. Did Dingus just cross the strain between Lord of the Rings and Star Wars by by bringing up Warm Tongue? Is that what just I happened did. now? Yeah. No. Yeah. I I did. I th- I think that Darth Vader sort of works as a Warm Tongue. Sauron call for for uh, Grand Moff Tarkin. Just like that oh, whole, just like that whole uh, parabolic saddle formula thing. <laughs> that you're way above my pay grade at this point, as far as the nerdery. Not his tempo. Yeah. Not your tempo. Not my tempo. I do have a question for you, Dingus. Is it you don't you don't say devotee? Devotee. Uh, yeah, you're devotee. Devotee. I don't know. You make it, you're making it sound I, like a, a, a fancy French word. It's not it, devotee. It does sound like somebody like a a, a girl yeah. going to a to a ball in a nice dress. <laughs> Devotee. Devotee. I'm a devotee of the hymns. Uh, devotee, probably, yeah. I'm not very good at, at pronouncing things. Well, that's just not a word I would ever – I don't think I've ever had to say out loud, so now I'm just second-guessing myself. Devotee. 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 I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so, Kelly Wan, the good news is you're not going to jail because that was a provocative Did- pick. It made sense, oh. and we had a we had a, an enjoyable discussion about it. Well, except for the last part. <laughs> <laughs> Now can I do my my number two pick finally, Kelly Wong? Yeah, oh, yeah. Call good. boy. Because I think Dingus is going to try to steal this. Uh, uh, I and it's it's all Ruth Gordon too. Like I just love ah! I just love what Roman Polanski does with the neighbors and the eventual cult you meet at the end of Rosemary's Baby. Uh, and, and it's it, it gets to this idea of. A creepy cult doesn't have to be creepy in the sense of Philip Seymour Hoffman in The Master or Tom Noonan and Mary Warnoff in House of the Devil. A creepy cult can be entirely affable and likable and friendly and even nurturing. Uh, and there's just something about uh, – it's, it's Minnie and Roman are their names, and it's uh, Ruth Gordon and uh, – uh, shoot, I don't know, Sidney Black guy. Sidney Blackamer, I meant to look up his name. It's something like that. But he, he's fantastic, and I wished I knew his name. But I don't know him from other stuff. Um, but they're, they're so good in that movie, and especially, especially, especially Ruth Gordon, for how she will alternate between being caring and being nonchalant and uninterested. Uh, it's an amazing performance. And it's – I just – I. Chinatown, I consider one of the perfect movies. There are very few movies that I would say, yeah, it's perfect. There's nothing you could change. And you definitely can see Roman Polanski at his best. This is the man who in a few short years is going to make Chinatown. That's so clear throughout Rosemary's Baby. Um, but I love the cult. I love the reveal of the cult at the end. Like the, the random characters that show up and that are there. There's a Japanese guy taking pictures, and there's a yeah. tall, stately Greek man in a white suit who shows up with a, with a big present, and their presents wrapped in black wrapping paper at the end. Yeah. Uh, and the, the, the woman with the thick spectacles who's taking care of Rosemary while they're drugging her. Uh, I just. I want to be part of this cult. Well, awesome. Kelly one, do you remember the dream sequence though, where yeah, she is, yeah. she's a, awake when she's being raped and they're standing around there naked and they, then they look really creepy and scary. You don't want to be a part of that. Are you talking uh, about the well, raft? The thing on the raft? What's well, the thing, the thing on, on the raft, that, yeah, she she has a dream where she's on a bed that's floating on the water and and it's a brilliant dream sequence by the way. Like nowadays dream sequences yeah. are so predictable. You do a dream sequence back in 1968 at the height of just people doing drugs right and left, and I'm sure Roman Polanski had his share of them. That's a dream sequence. That dream sequence in Rosemary's Baby, where it starts out, Dingus, with her thinking that she's she's on the bed and thinking that it's floating in the water, right. and then there's stuff with a uh, there's she's at a yacht party, and then you know they're tearing her clothes off and or not tearing her, they're undressing her and painting weird symbols on her body, and then there's like a weird creature that has sex with her. Um, right. 
It starts off like a Chanel number no. five commercial. I mean, yes, Dingus. Yes, before there was yeah. such a thing. Absolutely. Oh, you know, you made it. I wonder if it looks silly nowadays to people. Well, you know. But yeah, that only helps. You're totally yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. I just uh, remember feeling like that. Like, what? I mean, there's so many moments in movies nowadays where I see a mo where I see something and I'm like, yeah, this is a dream sequence. And when I was watching her. Rosemary's Baby, I didn't know that. I didn't feel that. I was just like, what the? I I never knew what was going on. Well, there, she. I think there's. I think there are two separate dreams. The first one she has does this really crazy thing where she's remembering being back in Catholic school because her religion's a significant mm. plot point and. A nun is telling her something, but in someone else's voice, and it's this great dream thing. Like you're remembering something, but a character in the dream is a, an amalgam of two different people. Like, and how does that make any sense in the real world? And this idea of this nun telling her something with someone else's voice kind of gets at that in one of those early dream sequences. But the really stark thing about the second dream sequence, uh, it's that she's been drugged. And it's where she has this wide-eyed realization, and she says – this is the line – this isn't a dream. This is real. Uh, and, and then they, they smother her like they put a pillow on her face. Uh, uh, but yeah, so I love those dream sequences in Rosemary's Baby. But just the, the affability of the cult is what makes them so creepy in Rosemary's Baby and especially Ruth Gordon, just, just watching her performance uh, in Rosemary's Baby. It's so weird and for me to hear you. Go ahead, Kelly. Well, they make you pudding and stuff. I mean, they spike it, but well, they are you know why? Yeah, the pudding is to drug Rosemary. Right. The, the the devil can impregnate her. Yeah. But they also make her wear that necklace that stinks. Yep. So that's not that applicable. <laughs> <laughs> well, and neither is the the necklace too. Is, is uh, she realizes it's taken from a dead girl? Like it's taken from the previous woman they were they were cultivating to impregnate. Right. Uh, who kills she her in the laundry room? Right, right. She mur- she kills herself. She commits suicide. So, yeah. and, and Rosemary sees the necklace. So yeah. when they give her the necklace, she knows it's weird. Uh, and Mia Farrow is so good in that. Oh my God, I can yeah, just understand yeah. why she was so popular back then. Yeah, uh, but also the the husband he gets the job because the other guy who was gonna get it he was up for against is turned blind. Like if. Like, they could have just given the guy another job, but, like, they made him blind because it's devil cult. Well, no, I mean, it's clearly, I mean, the idea is that John Cassavetes is taken aside and told what's what. Right. And makes a deal. Yeah, you can have my firstborn. I mean, that's literally the deal he's making. Take my firstborn to make me a famous actor uh, in movies. Yep, that's absolutely the deal. And I can't help but think Roman Polanski obviously is saying something about his regard for actors, (laughs) which makes this a plot point. I don't know how much of that is from the Ira Levine novel or how much is. Polanski himself, but uh, yeah. And Doctor Saperstein, the gynecologist, is uh, too. Is that the one played by Charles Grodin? Because it's so funny. No. Seeing Charles, he's a, yeah, it's so he funny. He just thinks he's not. Charles Grodin was in that. Yeah, sure. yeah, Charles yeah. Grodin. It's so funny seeing Charles Grodin and thinking, "Ha ha, Dingus is going to be in love with this guy in Midnight Run in about twenty years." 10 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, he's not in on it. He's just a dumbass. Right. right. But also, did, I told you that Ira Levin wrote a sequel where it all turns out to have been a dream, Rosemary's Dream. I, I refuse to believe that it's canon. I do too. It's not yeah. canon. Okay. Is that Did you know that there's a there's a four – sorry, what did say that again? Is that it was, that, was that an appendix to the movie Sliver? Never mind. Sliver? Or Slither. Or, or do you do you mean Split? The Sharon Stone? <laughs> what is Sliver? Sorry. That's the Sharon Stone movie? Yeah. Where she was a bray. 
No, that's going close. Oh, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> right. Oops. What a nightmare this has become. This is like Rosemary's dream, man. It What's really this? is. Sorry, never mind. Let, just move on. I did it. It's my fault. I'm sorry. No, I did it. I swear. No. It's split. Is it Splinter? What's the What's the big shard movie that Ira Levine wrote? Well, Splinter's the Shea Wiggum thing where he's caught in the convenience store by the 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 black goo Splinter stuff. No, it's the it's the one where, with William Baldwin and Sharon Stone in there in That's a sliver. huge. What is it? It's Sliver. You're right. You were right. I oh, think Ira Levine wrote that. I thought. But, but then when you said Fatal Attraction, then you lost all your ground. That you, Good point. Game because I can't right. believe you thought – first, Dingus thought that Jason Clark turns into nanobots in we go. Planet of the Apes. Then he thought that Sharon Stone shows her cooch in Fatal Attraction. Yeah. Dingus, both of those are wrong, I did Dingus. not say anything about Fatal Attraction. I did not mention it <laughs> once. <laughs> I thought I might try another another bit of historical revision. Wait, what? Right. <laughs> Um, but you did. All dumb. You did admit, and I'm surprised it hasn't come up yet, that you thought Jason Clark turns into nanobots in Rise of the Planet of the Apes. That is yeah. true. That happened. Uh, just, just like, just like Humphrey Bogart and uh, uh, what's her name? Um, will always have Paris. <laughs> we will always have you uh, thinking that Jason Clark was nanobots. Oh yeah, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, I can do this. Okay, so on my vacation. Uh, a Greek. I, was, I went to Greece last week, and uh, a waitress at one of the dinners was like, "So where are you from?" And I go, "L.A." And she goes, "Oh, Sex in the City." And I go, oh, "That's <laughs> She got she, the country right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She was New York, L.A., whatever. And I'm like, and I just thought, oh, it's like someone going, "I go L.A." And then she goes, "Ah, oh, Magnum P.I." <laughs> Never mind. Uh, I once was on vacation and told someone that I was from Arkansas, and then she later confessed to me that she didn't really respond to that because she didn't know if it was a city or a state. Really? That's kind of cute. <laughs> that was kind of cute. It made me like her more, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, so there's so Dingus, that wasn't your number one pick because when you were talking about uh, women being exploited by cults, I was like, dadgummit, he's going to pick Rosemary's Baby. No, I was not going to because um, it's interesting to hear you say you liked Mia Farrow so much in that because I don't. What? what? I'm just—I just did a spit take. What the yeah. hell is the problem with Mia Farrow and Rosemary's Baby? I don't know. She just doesn't do it for me. I don't get it. Dingus, she's that, awesome in that role. How Dingus, dare that, you? Yeah, that is worse than people refusing to see Ghostbusters because women <sighs> are in it. I know. Has a chalky after to taste. Yeah, she's yep. at, like her delivery, and then when she like cuts she's her fragile. hair way through, and yeah, she's so yeah. those big eyes that she's got. Dingus, yeah, she's, she's perfect for the role. Perfect. She's just so whiny. I don't. I don't like. I don't. I'm not what? a big fan of Rosemary's Baby. Oh my god! I'm not a big fan of that movie. Sorry, guys. Kelly, one. Can we this throw is... him into three by three jail just for that, or just do we need? You a... can. You're you're I've welcome. Never, to. I've never that's, met. I have that's never one of the reasons met. why I like House of the Devil so much more than this pick, um, because I like uh, I like the protagonist more than I like okay. Dingus, Jocelyn Donahue, and I'll bet she's aware of this. There, she is channeling Mia Farrow in her performance yeah. in House of the Devil. I would say. I know, I know. So you have to therefore like Mia Farrow. And even she gets her pizza drug. I mean, one of the reasons that happens to her is she gets her pizza drug. I can't. This is a revelation, thing. So I'm going to have to think about you. No, he's never record. said this before. He was he was afraid to t- he was afraid to confess it. So we should credit him at least with courage. I, I love it, Mia Farrow and Hannah, but I do not like her. I mean, I just don't care for. I'm not a fan of Rosemary's Baby. It's just not. I just, I'm just not a fan of the movie. 
So, Kelly Wan, while we're talking about vacations, uh, Dingus' son came back from a vacation out on Cape Cod, and while he was out there, they went to Martha's Vineyard. He comes back with a Jaws t-shirt <laughs> for Dingus. Dingus <laughs> was running around wearing a Jaws t-shirt when I'm the one in the house who should be wearing a Jaws t-shirt. It makes no sense that Dingus wears a Jaws t-shirt. I just – I was flummoxed. It, uh, Right. So weird. And, and you he just brought, mad at Kiernan for not getting you one? And he brought Tom a Midnight Run t-shirt. It was weird. <laughs> uh, man. He's just so perverse. All right. Uh, so let's get down to our favorite – or not our favorite, the creepiest cults in movies. Uh, I don't think – so I'm just going to say I don't think any of you guys are going to steal my number one because I don't think you jerks have seen it. So I, I believe I'm pretty lucky here. So Dingus, what is your favorite – you better not say the movie I'm going to pick. Your favorite creepy cult in a movie. All right, this couldn't be easier. The, uh, my favorite one is Martyrs. Um, I mm. freaking love this movie. Uh, and this is thanks to Kelly Wand uh, that I saw this movie. Because uh, I saw it for a 3 by 3 and of things that you've never seen before. And I went ahead and just said, well, I'm just going to watch movies that Kelly Wand uh, – likes but i've never seen uh well, tom this, discovered it i should in all fairness i, I am the pioneer and tom got as, me to as far as blazing the trail into the french new wave of horror i believe right 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 i just thought you'd like it yeah. um but i really i mean i i really like this movie it's it's creepy it's really hard to watch but that whole cult of this weird group of philosophers who are torturing young women again mainly uh, although there's a there's a picture as she's going down this weird hallway, uh, like this museum hallway of. Uh, okay, let me look at this picture. Let me look at that picture. There's a there's like a picture of an infant there too, um, but uh, but that weird uh, cult of philosophy that thinks that um, the more they uh, torture. These young subjects, especially young women, uh, the closer they, they, they can get to understanding the divine. Uh, that is the creepiest thing uh, ever. Um, this, this kind of departs from my uh, earlier talk about being able to um, empathize with the protagonist because it's so hard to really understand what's going on with the protagonist because it's just, this movie is so brutal. So it's surprising to me that I like this movie so much. Um, but I can, I, I've watched it several times and this, this weird philosopher cult and the way that it finally ends up uh, and how it works out and how it kind of matches up with uh, some of what ends up at the end of house of the devil. Um, yeah, this this cult, this weird philosopher cult, uh, it's not a religion necessarily, but it is trying to grasp uh, the divine. Sure, it's a religion. Yeah, I would say it's definitely a yeah. religion. Uh, well, uh, so Dingus, just make sure also to see the American remake, just so you know. I won't. Uh, I, I'm not going to do that. You've already told me <laughs> that I don't need to. Um, I, I really do. I think this movie is. Uh, it's 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 directed by a guy named Pas, uh, Pascal Logier. Uh, and uh, and I just think it's a really really well made movie, but it is definitely not for everyone. It's really hard to watch, um, and uh, it also 
uh, it has uh, a bit of connective tissue with Mar- uh, with Martha, Marcy Mary Marlene in that sort of home invasion kind of thing that has to happen in both movies and how difficult that is to, to stomach and deal with as somebody who lives in a house and has to protect children. Um, so yeah, uh, it's, it's hard to talk about this movie cause it makes me feel, it makes me feel creepy to talk about it. It also makes me feel scared. It's weird. It's weird to talk about a movie that actually, as I'm talking about it, makes me feel scared. So martyrs, as I talk about it, makes me feel scared. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding. It makes me feel scared talking about it because uh, I remember the things that go on in the movie. Um, you know, it's very much along, you know, and this is another thing that Tom suggested that I watch this movie inside. Uh, it's really hard to watch this. This I don't know if you call it. I don't know what you call it, Tom. French New Wave Horror or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's really hard to watch it, but I can't look away. I told uh, you to watch Inside. I, you kind of said, well, maybe you kind of nudged. Yeah, you, it's not. You, it's not for you, Dingus. I really like Inside. Uh, I mean, like, like is the wrong way to put that. Uh, I appreciate Inside, um, but uh, but Martyrs is a movie I really appreciate. And uh, Martyrs is the Kate McKinnon of the French New Wave horror, <laughs> <laughs> except it as character. Yeah, uh, that's true. All right, so uh, Kelly Wan, what is your favorite – or sorry, not favorite. Uh, what is the creepiest cult in a movie? I'm going to get in trouble. Uh-oh. Here we go. It's going to make – it's going to – no, no. Okay. I believe – this is just my personal thing – that the Close Encounters aliens are a cult. I'll tell you why. They're a music cult, and they they abduct people. And they let you go when they feel like it, and they encourage you to leave your family and join them in like some remote area and engage in rituals, music rituals. So that's they, my number one previous cult. They encourage you? That's what they do? Yeah. So they basically brainwash people with visions of Devil's Tower, Wyoming, you think? Like that's also right. cult-like, right? Sure. Yeah. yeah, and notice it's the Devil's Tower, and they give you sunburns. They, they ruin your taste for mashed potatoes. Mm, I don't oh. think it ruins his taste for mashed potatoes. He just has other things to do with them. <laughs> they, they bore air traffic controllers. They make an old man in Mexico uh, dr- drink too much. Um, so think Kelly, Independence Day. <laughs> so, Kelly, one, the great thing about this pick is you don't even have to be arrested. You can just walk yourself over to the cell. Like you, you know, I mean, yeah, you, <laughs> it's just that simple. So I'm not wrong. <laughs> this is one of those like old west towns where you, where the the prisoner <laughs> just like locks himself into his. You know. Yeah, you're like the town drunk, and you know when you need to lock yourself into the cell. And, you know, let yourself out when you're done. You know, just stay there overnight. Uh, you know what you're doing. You're good. <laughs> we trust you. They worship the mountain. That's a cult. They don't worship the mountain, please. That's just a what? landing bag. They don't worship the mountain any more than I worship LAX when I come into Los Angeles from from a long flight. Right. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> and the way they make and they make all the kids' toys. Uh. Work wrong. Oh yeah, that's very cult-like, isn't it? Because I think Scientologists do that as well. Yeah, they try to get Melinda Dillon on board, but she's not in. And then that one, they have that one UFO that looks like ice cream to the kid. Kelly Wan, who's hotter, Melinda Dillon or Terry Gar in Close? Terry Gar. Really, Melinda Dillon all the way. Really? Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, you know, Terry I, Gar's kind of the bitchy one. Well, Terry Gar's like super. Like, I, I forgot, by the way, that Terry Gar was uh, Gene Hackman's girlfriend in the conversation until I rewatched it. Right. So yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Like she, yeah. Terry Gar's just so adorable, and she's younger. But mm-hmm. Melinda Yel- Dillon is just like this kind of just like. So, <laughs> I was going to say mother- a young Frankenstein Terry Gar. I know that's that's the really cute Terry Gar, right? And I don't even like right. Mel Brooks movies. Uh, this Wait, just, what did you just say? That I don't even like Mel Brooks movies. Oh, I thought you said Albert Brooks movies. Sorry. No, 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 no. Yeah, it's his brother Mel Brooks who I don't care. For. <laughs> uh, so this, speaking of Melinda Dillon, this also this gets to partly why I find Melinda Dillon attractive. Dingus this week, Kelly Wan had to explain to his son what MILF means. Oh no! <laughs> Wait, did someone say that to Kieran? Dingus could tell. Or did Kieran and see one and go, <laughs> "What do I call that?" Yeah, yeah. that's what happened. Is there an acronym for that woman? <laughs> how, how do you Billy. label that, Dad? Can you tag this I, for me? There's some. I know you call her mom, but there's something I want to call her. I don't know how to. All right, okay. that's enough of that. I'd like to tell you guys about the creepiest cult I've ever seen in a movie, and partly I want to do it because that's why I picked this topic. You guys haven't seen this movie, uh, and I think we're at a point where you probably should, I guess. Um, I don't know. So this is a found footage movie, which is a classic example of, dude, don't do found footage. You don't need to because it does all these strange things about why is the camera there? Why, while these things are happening, are you still carrying the damn camera around for Pete's sake? They even do a thing where the bad guys have to carry the camera for a little while just so you can see stuff that happens from their perspective. So one of the characters conveniently drops his camera, and then the bad guys pick it up and carry it around. Um, but it's a movie that I didn't know what it was going into it. It's directed by the same fellow who did House of the Devil, interestingly enough, fellow oh. Ty West, who has a great appearance as a documentarian in Your Next. Um Ty West did a found footage movie with Joe Swanberg, A.J. Bowen, and Amy Simons. I believe Dinkus knows all these actors. Uh, called The Sacrament. And The Sacrament is, as you will watch it, and I don't think this is a spoiler. I didn't know this going in, and I kind of maybe wished I had because I was expecting it to go places it didn't. It did this instead, and if I'd known going in this is what it would be, I might not have felt uh, as uh, sort of bait-and-switched as, as I feel because of what happened, but it's basically a smaller scale retelling of uh, of what Jim Jones did uh, in 1978 mm-hmm. to, to his followers in uh, in Jonestown. Um, and this is a the, the conceit, just like there was, I think, a congressional group was going to Jonestown to look into whether or not people were being held there against their will. Uh, and the cult freaked out while they were there. They uh, murdered, the, I think, the congressman and, and some of his people, and then they. Uh, committed mass ritual suicide by drinking Kool-Aid. Uh, and this happened to, and this is hard to imagine, you know, 900 people did this. 900 people committing suicide by drinking poison Kool-Aid. Not all of them, by the way, drank it. Like some of them were flat out murdered, and they murdered children. They had children drink the Kool-Aid, and children didn't know any better. Uh, so this is a movie about that. This is Ty West making a found footage movie about what happened in Jonestown, the conceit being uh, Amy Simons is one of the, the cult members, and her brother's concerned about her, and he wants to make sure she's okay. And he brings along a documentary film crew, and that consists of Joe Swanberg and A.J. Bowen. So there's this strange found footage stuff that goes on. 
And ultimately, of course, it is about what happened at Jonestown. Ty West didn't have the resources to make it a, a movie about 900 people doing this, so it's only about you know 50. Uh, it's a smaller mm-hmm. cult in this movie. But the amazing thing in this movie, and this is why you should see it, and it's why this is the creepiest cult for me in movies, is who they got to play Jim Jones. Uh, it's an actor who hadn't really worked a lot until a movie called No Country for Old Men. And that was his first movie. I don't know where the Coen brothers found him, but he's in an iconic scene in that movie where Javier Bardem uh, is at a gas station and flips a coin in front of the proprietor. And the actor that he does it with is a fellow named Gene Gene Jones, a super avuncular, great Texan accent, uh, and is just a very sincere guy. And his confusion at this guy telling him to call it. And he's not knowing what this guy is doing, but yet there's something sinister and weird about the guy. It's an amazing scene, and the interplay between Gene Jones, who'd never been in a movie before as far as I know, and Javier Bardem just makes that one of the best scenes in No Country for Old Men. So somewhere along the way, Ty West casts Gene Jones at – oh, am I screwing up his name? Because it's Jim Jones. Oh, I hope I'm not screwing up his name. It is Gene Jones. it can't be a coincidence, it's right? Uh, Gene Jones as Jim Jones. Yeah, like I, <laughs> that right. never occurred to me. So now I'm wondering, is that wrong? No, it is Gene Jones. Yeah, so I got it right. It just sounded <laughs> off. I never even thought of that. Um, so Ty West cast this guy as the leader, the, the charismatic leader of a cult. And I don't know if you guys can imagine this because he's the same guy he is in No Country for Old Men. He's a nice, avuncular, sincere, southern old guy, and. The best part of the sacrament, and the reason that I think Ty West did it as a found footage movie, is he agrees to be interviewed by the film crew. Uh, he and but he will only do it if he can do it in front of the congregation, as part of a, a, a you know a, a nightly speech that he gives to the congregation. So they set up uh, the the interview uh, with. A.J. Bowen asking him questions about the cult and why are you doing this and why are you doing that. And Can you I understand? Ask a quick question? Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Uh, how big of a congregation are we talking about? Like a, a red state size Dozens. or like a like a like a stadium size? No, no, no. It's like 50 people. Like they didn't get that many extras. It was definitely a small uh, budget, maybe 100 people. It's definitely okay. a, a, a small budget movie. Okay, um, I just wanted to picture it. Yeah, but uh, it, it's clearly based on. Um, there's really, really creepy audio footage of Jim Jones talking to his congregation when he initially proposes that they're going to have to to kill themselves, and it's him giving his speech. There's, there's there's audio of this you can listen to on the internet where other people will stand up and say, "Wait, what? Do we really have to do this? Is this a good idea? I don't want to die." And he's convincing these people. There's audio of listening to the actual Jim Jones telling these people to kill themselves, and it's. A, it's just a, it's so unsettling to hear that, to hear this back and forth about should I should we commit suicide? And Jim Jones basically lying to them, saying if we don't kill ourselves, the Americans now are going to come and kill us. Um, and uh, yeah, so so anyway, Gene Jones plays this charismatic leader, and they do that whole scene too, where he's saying, hey, the Americans are going to come kill us, we have to drink the Kool Aid. Um, but but. Uh, the, the amazing scene and the reason it's found footage is he does an interview with A.J. Bowen, and A.J. Bowen is calling him out 
uh, as a sort of a concerned investigative journalist who's skeptical of this cult. He's trying to call him out on certain things the cult does. And Gene Jones, being as friendly as ever, answers the questions directly responding to A.J. Bowen. And he, even at one point, like he unsettles A.J. Bowen with some things. But what he does, and this is an amazing actor choice. I don't know if Gene Jones came up with it or if Ty West told him to do it. But during the interview, every time he answers A.J. Bowen, every time he talks to A.J. Bowen, he instead looks out at the congregation as he's addressing A.J. Bowen. Uh, and it's just an amazing example of this connection that he's got to this people, the hold he has over them by being friendly and personable and, 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 and direct with them. So it's a creepy cult because what a cult takes is, is likability, is you want to like the person that leads the cult. And the movie does that to you by casting Gene Jones. Mm. With this scene where, yeah, this guy seems really nice, and he's taking care of these people, and he loves them, and he's got this religious conviction. Um, and here he is dealing with this hostile journalist. Uh, but that one scene between A.J. Bowen and Gene Jones and how he, won't, how he doesn't look at A.J. Bowen when he's talking to him uh, is, uh, is, is just amazingly done. It's, it's great actor work. Uh, and because it's found footage, you know, the camera – it's important when and when he isn't looking at the camera and where he's looking because this the idea is that this is the footage that's being recorded of the interview. Uh, but it also reminded me too, uh, it's creepy because a cult requires that you want to belong to it, right? Because mm. otherwise it's not going to get. And and a lot of times, you know, with Scientology, it's through this ritualistic brainwashing, through these silly classes they make you take, uh, and it's 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 making you feel like you belong. Like you're wanted, like 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 they're they're people who care about you. Uh, a creepy cult. One way to do it is to have someone creepy like Tom Noonan be weird. You know that's a creepy cult. But for me, the creepier way to do it is to think, wow, this guy's really cool. I like him, uh, and that's what the sacrament does uh, early on with with its representation of Gene Jones playing Jim Jones. Um. All right, let's now see what the listeners have for their creepiest cults. Paul Weimer says, hi guys. He has three best cults, he calls them. Uh, the cultists of the worship of Dagon in the movie Dagon. Yeah. Dagon? What? Oh, see, it's this, it's this Stuart uh, Gordon thing that he shot, I think, in Italy or something. How's it spelled? Yeah. D-A-G-O-N. It's like dragon without the R. It's, it's a Lovecraft oh. thing. Okay. Yeah. I haven't seen it, but I'm against it because it mixes Cthulhu with Innsmouth, and Innsmouth's Atlantic, and Cthulhu's Pacific, so it doesn't say motion. Stuart Gordon, I don't think Stuart Gordon is the least Lovecraftian Lovecraft storyteller. There's very little Lovecraft in what Stuart. I love what Stuart Gordon has done, but there's very little of Lovecraft. Like, like Stuart Gordon's like hypersexualized, weird theatrical representations of. of sure. Love. Not the least. But Reanimator is kind of wacky, like the story. Reanimator's so. great, but I don't think it's Lovecraft at all. From Beyond is even worse. Like From Beyond with Barbara, oh, yeah, Cramp- know, with Barbara Crampton in that that leather corset. Uh, yeah, there's no. Oh, like, oh. Yeah, there's no Lovecraft in that. Reanimator is the Bay Area, but the other one is the Great Lakes. <laughs> Very good, Dingus. Uh, <laughs> but that is, the, the Dagan, Dagan the movie is definitely a cult. Uh, let's see. So. <laughs> Paul Weimer says, tearing <laughs> off people's faces for them to wear as masks and sacrificing the face-skinned victims to their fishy gods. That's pretty creepy. Yeah. Oh, this, this is a good one, too, I wish I'd thought of. Because uh, it's, it's Ken Russell, isn't it? Uh, the cult of the white worm as embodied uh. 
is embodied by Lady Marsh, played by Amanda Donahoe, in Lair yeah. of the White Worm. Murder and sacrifice mm-hmm. to bring a dragon back to life. That is a good one. I remember being freaked to the freak out by that as a kid. And Oxenberg, Hugh Grant. Yeah. Who is oh, that? It's so good. Dingus. Catherine Oxenberg's in it from Dynasty. And also yeah. Hugh Grant. I don't think it's for Dingus. Ken- well, who directed eh, it? It's Ken Russell. I know. It's Ken weird. Russell. It's weird, freaky Ken Russell. I don't know. That, uh, yeah. It's not as good as Gothic, which is kind of awesome. I would I actually, like Gothic. I, I, I'm guessing that Blair the White Worm probably doesn't hold up. You know, it's what it is. There's a weird part. There's, so there's a kind of a, a pudgy uh, constable in it who turns into like a snake monster. Yeah, see? But I remember that being laughable <laughs> and not scary. Oh, I love I that Kelly says, yeah, see? <laughs> I remember that being funny. Oh, my God. Here's another one I can't believe we missed, you guys. Oh, Paul Weimer, yeah. excellent. Uh, the cultists of the original Wicker Man. Poor Sergeant. Oh, fuck. I know. Poor Sergeant Howie, played by Edward uh, Woodward, burned alive to bring back the harvest. That's an excellent one. I thought of that one and I forgot to write it down. Like any cult where you've got Christopher Lee prancing around in a wig and singing, that's an awesome. That's better than John Hawkes singing with a banjo or whatever he plays. That's yeah. It, I've never seen either one of the movies of the Wicker Man movies. Should I see either one? The well, first the Nic- one, the Nicolas Cage one, is a is a, a fantastic Neil LeBute comedy. Uh, but yeah. the, the original Wicker Man definitely holds up. Yeah, it's good stuff. All right. All right. Yeah, right. Everything right. Tom just said. Is well, thank you, Paul. Grant Stewart, and this is the subject header I saw. Grant Stewart titles his email Martha Master Rosemary Baby. So I think <laughs> I know what three he's going to pick. <laughs> uh, uh, oh. But then he doesn't pick any of them. <laughs> All right. Very clever, Grant Stewart. Number three, dude, where's my car? The cult uh, that dresses in bubble wrap jumpsuits and worships Zoltan kidnap the protagonist's yeah. girlfriends until they return the continuum transfunctioner. This represents yeah. a key aspect of many cults in that they are ridiculous and should be mocked at every opportunity. <laughs> You're doing Akurai there. The joke thing, I mean, do you consider like the – the different like jokes at the beginning of Airplane to be like cults. Oh, Harry Krishna's. Uh, that is a cult, isn't it? I think I think people are suspicious of Harry Krishna's handing out. I don't even know if they're still around. Uh, handing out their flyers at at, air, at airports. Yeah, that would like, like he punches out like a bunch of different cults. Yeah, out. yeah. Right. Oh, oh, he. Oh, that becomes the joke. Right, right. I'd have to go back, Dingus, and look over which uh, each particular punchy before I could decide. <laughs> okay, fair uh, enough. Yeah, that's a good pick. Yeah. Uh, and then Grant one time, Stewart, uh, yeah, go ahead, Kelly. Yep. Yeah. I want to, if one you time outside. Your anecdote about the cult you are a member of. Go ahead. One time outside Starbucks, a bald guy in a robe handed me a flower, and he asked me if I believed in the Matrix. Was it a red flower or a blue flower? Oh, the buds. I'd like to take this opportunity to say, anybody listening who is not following on Twitter at Kelly Wand sixty nine. Is really missing out on some uh, appreciative nods to this podcast. Just so you know. I'm not affiliated with it. Right, right. It's it's an unofficial thing. We love whoever's doing it. Doing job. Yeah, yeah. It's fantastic stuff. Uh, number two from from Grant Stewart, the Wicker Man, Edward Wood uh, Woodward, set up by some local islanders in Scotland to investigate the spurious case of a missing girl. Uh, the clash of beliefs and inability to understand one another is key to the feeling that alienates him from the islanders. Uh, Grant Stewart says, as a bizarre anecdote, 
my dad is Rod Stewart's cousin and was asked to look after Britt Eklund for the day when she was in Scotland filming this. But holy shit. Uh-huh. But before you What's before, happening right now, before you commit to that reaction, uh-huh. Wand, Grant Stewart writes, mm-hmm. but my uncle commandeered her and took her to his pub where he gave her so much alcohol as to render her incapacitated. Grant Stewart says, uh-huh. I am destined to hear that story at least once a year until my dad croaks. Uh-huh. It's not enough. Not often enough. Wow, all of the then, th- all of the things in that in that anecdote are fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Wait, is that because she could? It, is it that why she couldn't do the dance scene? Because she said they used a body double for her naked dance, and she regretted it because she said the body double had a lamer ass than her. <laughs> I don't really need her. Like it, that's her up against the wall. That's Britt Eklund. Is the woman running the uh, the? It's not her butt. The, the, the woman running the pub who Ed, Woodward Edwards basically Edward Woodward has sex with through the wall. That's Britt Eklund, right? Uh yeah, I'm yeah. just saying for the as long team. as as long as we get that sequence, I'm cool with her not dancing even. But it's because she was drunk in Scotland with the guy Rod Stewart's uncle. <laughs> so let's see. No, so it's so Rod Stewart's cousin's uncle. No, no. Oh right. No, 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 no. Yeah, there's way. It's way too complicated. The whole thing. I'd have to diagram this out with a chart. Yeah, they have similar hair too. Rod Stewart and Bert Eklund. I just like to hear like Tom say Edward Woodward in as many different ways as he can say. Edward Woodward, Edward Woodward, Edward Woodward, Edward Woodward. That is as confusing as as Gene Jones playing Jim Jones. I just Jim Jones or Gene Jones. I've had a lot of name challenges to deal with tonight. Yeah. Uh, Grant Stewart's number one pick. Here's a movie not for Dingus, uh, but for me and Kelly Wand because we, unlike Dingus, liked. Uh, oh shoot, I'm going to call it Tower Heist again. <laughs> Kelly Wand, what's what's the Tom Rosemary's Hiddleston? Tower? No, what's the Tom Hiddleston movie? High Rise. Jeez. MacGyver. Oh, High The MacGyver movie you guys love. <laughs> oh, the MacGyver yeah. movie too. Was it The Cult of Val Kilmer. That should, yeah. Um, so yeah. this movie, not for Dingus, because he doesn't appreciate this director like Kelly Wand and I do. But Greg Stewart's number one pick, Kill List. After a job goes wrong in Eastern Europe, a couple of ex-soldiers get back to work with a bunch of people to kill. It's pretty evident a cult has hired them, but the nature of the relationship between the hitmen and the cult is unclear. I love the ambiguity of where the influence of the cult members begins and ends. Uh, and this is a Ben Wheatley movie, uh, his first one, I believe. Yeah, yeah I thought you That's waved me name. off of that one. Not for you, Dingus, not for you. Yep. Yeah, fair so, enough. Yeah. Paul Chenevert, Chenevert, uh, Paul C., we'll call him, says, only two cults in movies come to mind for me this week. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> Number two, Hot Fuzz. I know it's a comedy, but, <laughs> <laughs> but the evil cult in Hot Fuzz murders dozens of people just to win the Village of the Year award. You have to admit, that's the creepiest, pettiest motivation for a cult to exist. But if my experience watching Midsummer Murders is accurate, it's exactly what rural England is like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Cornettos. Uh, I wonder if this is one that Dingus would have in a runner-up. Uh, number one, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Ah, oh, they're Paul actually Wright called Ma. a cult. That's yeah. why I mean, yeah. yeah. Paul writes, it's an obvious choice, but it always terrified me as a kid. Which, oh. of course, as we all know, is why it's rated PG-13, right? Don't watch that movie till you're over 13. Uh, Paul says... These Cali freaks have everything a cult needs, a big old lava pit for human sacrifices, drinking cursed blood, mind control, a guy that can rip out a heart from your chest, and enough skulls to appropriately decorate their evil cult cavern. And they live next to some alligators. 
Unfortunately for what's his face, <laughs> all around. <laughs> I can see them asking the realtor. Uh, yeah, but uh, are there any alligators nearby? Yeah, don't worry. There's a bridge, but just don't take a machete out there. Right. Uh, Chris Braley, Chris Braley, who saw Ghostbusters, haha, uh, <laughs> says his three favorite cults are The Believers, starring Martin Sheen. What is that? What is that? Yeah, it's his movie about a cult. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Thank you, Kelly One. I can vouch for that. About Justin Believer. I feel like I've yeah. seen it. Yeah, we have. Sounds familiar. We both have. We didn't see it together, but we discussed I've never it seen several it. times. The Believer. It's, it's, it's got to be. A, it's a horror movie thing, right? Yeah, it's horror. It's okay. a horror right. cult. Movie. What's the year on that? Do you know what the year is? He does like ninety-seven, ninety-six. Uh, yeah, Chris. Chris did Chris, actually, and you. Get, by the way, listeners, you're always welcome to this. Chris just sent a list of his three. Uh, we love it when you when you talk about it or explain the things. But if you just want to send us a list of your picks, that's always fine. Uh, so Chris chooses the Believers, uh, Temple of Doom, and Rosemary's Baby. But okay. he numbers them number three, Rosemary's Baby, number two, Indiana Jones. According to Chris Braley, the number one pick, the Believers. Hmm. He says so. All right. Uh, I still think Close Encounters. Okay, yeah. Yeah, sorry, Kelly Wan, you're still in the jail cell. You can talk to us. We can hear you though. We're in the front part mm-hmm. of the sheriff's office. Mm-hmm. Arthur Giovanginelli. Here's a great pick. Eyes wide shut. Oh, <laughs> that's a good one. Of course. Well, yeah. While what exactly is going on at the mask party in the mansion is never fully revealed. The imagery and atmosphere is definitely designed to seem like a cult. The explanation given to Tom Cruise at the end also rings hollow and indicates that the members are deeply committed to hiding something. While the movie never explicitly labels the masked partygoers as cultists, it certainly doesn't dissuade the the viewer from drawing that conclusion. Yeah, Arthur, that's a good one. Is that movie any good? Do you guys know? I mean, I I just remember seeing it in the theater and just being... Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Dingus. Like, it didn't make any sense to me. It just yeah. bounced off me completely. Kelly Wand is our Kubrick apologist. Kelly Wand, where do you stand on Eyes Wide Shut? Uh, I sat there with a girl, and I goes, don't make noise during this or say anything dumb. Trying to, it's a very serious movie. And then when we came out of it, she was like, aha. I was like, eh, <laughs> all right. You may as well have talked. <laughs> Can Lost we do an Eyes Wide Shut podcast just to hear Kelly do a synopsis of it? <laughs> <laughs> Remember that where they did the CG, they blurred the nudity by adding guys who looked like they were wearing capes in the yep. middle. Yep, absolutely. And then bragged about it and like showed the the critics like, look, this is how we did it. Yeah, here's great. how we, here's how we fixed this scene. Right. Yeah. Arthur's number two pick, and I don't. You guys are the the young adult uh, authorities here. I'm not going to make heads or tails of this one. Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Uh, I don't know. No idea. Uh, Arthur says this movie marks the first appearance of the Death Eaters, a textbook cult <laughs> dedicated to following Lord Voldemort. I thought they were in the third one. Kelly, one again, way over my pay grade. So whatever you're saying there, not your tempo. Yeah, not my tempo. <laughs> not your tempo. Arthur's number one pick, The Master. He says, I think one of you guys pointed out during your Master podcast that The Master was a frustrating movie that kept you at a distance. Kind of like the cult at the movie's center. The cult in question, called The Cause, is insufferable and completely unlikable, which might be the point. Even though this movie is not one of my favorites, it is definitely successful in making cults look about as appealing as chewing gum laced with glass. So, good job, yeah. Thomas Anderson, I guess, Paul Arthur writes. Thanks for that image. Chris Webb says, someday I'll get around to watching Mary Magdalene May Morosky. 
<laughs> good lord, really. See? So uh, May's the third one? <laughs> good lord. Chris I'm Webb. trying to memorize one every week. Yeah? Uh, Chris Webb's number three pick. Uh, he gives a quote that uh, he says, this is Good Lord. Uh, this is Tom Cruise's cult of the cock in Magnolia. Ha ha. Tom said cock. Uh, <laughs> twice. You said it twice. Yeah. Oh, you got me there. Uh, I, Wait, Tom, I didn't hear that part. What did you say? <laughs> <laughs> I missed the Res- part about the cock. Respect what? what? Well, Kelly Wan, just, just so you know you get yours, Chris Webb then writes, I think even Kelly Wand would say no thanks to this circle jerk. No, there's never a <laughs> long circle jerk. And then for his number two pick, Chris Wand says, for this pick, Tom Chris Cruise. Wand. Oh, sorry, Chris <laughs> Webb says, for this pick, Tom Cruise is on the receiving end in the movie Eyes Wide Shut. The Illuminati mm. is pretty creepy, but at least it's got nice racks, which is why my number one is Martyrs. No uh, more, yeah, no more cruising in the number one slot. The creepiest part of this cult is the way in which their mission almost seems noble, in spite of its savage inhumanity. I can almost think un- it's just got scared. <laughs> I can almost understand the appeal, and that terrifies me. Uh, Chris Webb writes, uh, and then runners up. <laughs> good Lord. Chris, uh, uh, Chris Webb says his runners up Ghostbusters fans. Uh. <laughs> I don't know. There you go. Topical. Chris Markinson's three favorite creepy cults are number three, Temple of Doom. He says he's sure it's been picked, but any cult that practices ripping a still-beating heart from a man's body is plenty creepy to me. It's not a man either. Isn't it a little boy? No, no, it's a man. Who? Oh, I thought it's like a little like a slave kid or something. It's no, little... no, it's, it's a dude no, they, just they put the in this huge cage, and then he reaches into the dude's heart, and it's just – it's a dude. Because in my memory, they don't rip – it was super creepy and scary because it was a little boy, but I guess not good. Well, there's a lot of children. Not, uh, the children are all they're all through, and the 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 guy who's leading them, I forget the Maharisha or whatever, is uh, is a, is a child. He's like, I thought the stories were told to frighten children. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. But the guy who gets his heart taken out is a dude. Is a guy. Wait, I but thought it doesn't kill him, and he's burned alive. Yeah, and then the heart catches fire in Molaram's hand. Um, uh, yeah. Is the line I thought the children the stories were told to frighten children? That's from Temple of Doom. Yeah, I thought the stories were told to frighten children. Man, for some reason I, I was thinking that was from Aliens. No, that's from Terminator, the movie with the apes. <laughs> it won't make it won't make any difference. No, but isn't it isn't it where Newt says there's no such thing as monsters? Maybe that's what I'm thinking of, where, where Ripley's shown on the inside of the doll's head. I guess I thought that line was in there somewhere. All right, I need to obviously bone up on my uh, Indiana Jones. Yeah, that- um, that's made of Wait, plus. why didn't Chris Markinson's number two pick? Dingus, you'll like this. Uh, Kelly Wan, you won't understand it. Uh, Chris Markinson's number two pick, Midnight Special. Writer director Jeff ah. Nichols. Jeff Nichols did a good job making the cult that worshipped Alton seem very creepy. Kelly Wan, Wait, I saw Midnight Special. Oh, you did. Oh, okay, never mind. Then maybe yeah. you will get that pick. But I don't understand <laughs> anything anyway. <laughs> so the first parts. Uh, and I love Chris uh, Markinson's number one pick because it was a runner-up for me and one that I certainly thought of, Embrace of the Serpent. In 1909, the Spanish Catholic mission is a harsh and brutal outpost. When Karamakate and Evans visit it 30 years later, the mission has been further perverted into a cult. And I definitely thought of that one. I like that one a lot, Markinson. Yeah. Uh, all right. What runners-up do you gentlemen have for creepy cults? 
Uh, how about the invitation? Fight Club. Thank you, Dingus. I'm a little disappointed you didn't pick that. Yeah, Frankly. well, me too, but I didn't get a chance to watch it again and didn't quite know what to do with it, but I really like the idea of it. So the invitation – oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No, you go ahead. Well, the, the, the invitation also does that thing by uh, like casting Gene Jones, uh, mm-hmm. casting John Carroll Lynch – who yeah. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. super likable guy casting him as and also playing with this whole idea like you know is it a cult is it self help uh, is there something that you don't know going on like the invitation is uh, just a grand grand movie in terms of uh, keeping you guessing and I think by the way the invitation has a lot of uh, sort of Polanski in it uh, yeah you're right yeah well put uh, uh, I should see it. Do, do you know Kelly Wan? I would think you would know this. I watched it uh, probably a year or so ago. Is it called Devil's Reign? Shoot, it's the thing where Peter Fonda and Warren Oates uh, and what's the chick from yeah. Mash? Sally Kirkland, the Mash chick? Lorette? No. What's the Sally Kirkland? Kelly. Kellerman. 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 Yeah. I think she's one of them. But uh, Peter Fonda and Warren Oates are going to go on vacation <laughs> in an RV. This is back before it was silly to, to this idea that. Anybody under 60 would go on a vacation in an RV. They go on a vacation in the RV, and they accidentally see a cult sacrifice someone. So then the movie becomes Road Warrior, but with a bunch of cultists in pickup trucks chasing an RV. And I think it's Devil's Reign. Is that the name yeah. of it? Yeah. It's, that's ridiculous. Are the children yeah. of the corn kids, are they cultists? Yeah. Yeah, they're totally cultists. Okay. The corn. Hello. Yeah. How about the also the, uh, beneath the, the planet of the apes too? How about the coven in American movie? Uh, I do movie. like that one, Dingus. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Or just the the just in coven. You just see the movie coven. Yeah. Coven. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Kelly what wants about the witch. The witch. Uh-huh. What's what's the cult in the witch? The witch. <laughs> witch. <laughs> uh, Kelly once said Fight Club, which I also thought of. Uh, uh, yeah, I did too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess you could say they're. Uh, they're not really creepy, though. I mean, they're kind of romanticized in a way. Yeah. Uh, How about the, uh, his name was Johnny Paulson. Uh, Albert Paulson. What's his name? Really? Robert. Johnny Paulson? Albert Paulson. Johnny Paulson. It's just Robert Johnny, Paulson. His name was Johnny Robert. Paulson. Like Robert Al- Paulson. Al- Albert Paulson. Albert Brooks. Where, where does that come from? You don't remember the man guy's name from Fight Club? <laughs> so there's a, movie, there's a movie, Kelly Wan, where uh, Meatloaf sells a tiger to Garrett Dillahunt so that <laughs> Garrett Dillahunt can use the tiger to kill Brianna Evigan. I mistakenly was describing the movie once to Dingus, and I was like, yeah, so Garrett Dillahunt, he buys a tiger, and then he, he nails it up in a house with Brianna Evigan, so it's going to kill her. Uh, and I forget, someone famous plays the guy who sells the tiger. I think it's, it's Peter Mulligan, uh, and that's the way I described it to Dingus, and then later looked it up and realized I had mistaken Meatloaf and Peter Mulligan. Who's Peter Mulligan? Wait, not Richard Mulligan. Who's Peter Mulligan? Thing is, Peter Mulligan from a, a movie called Boy A. Uh, P- from... Peter Milan. Uh... Shoot a monkey! Shoot a freaking monkey! Let me go back and edit this. Peter Mullen. Is it? Isn't it Mullen? M U L L E N. I think so. I don't. Oh know. my God, Peter. I'm Mulligan. pretty sure his name isn't Mullen. No. I just you can I... take a Mulligan on that though. Right. It's because I play... thank you. It's because I play a lot of golf. I'm pretty... uh... Yeah, Peter Mullen. Right? Uh... Oh, Jesus. Ah. All right, other runners uh, up wait. rather than names we can't remember. Go on. How about the um, – I don't know how you say this, speaking of names you can't pronounce. Yeah. Um, the Bene Gesserit, would they be a cult? Probably. <laughs> Doesn't it? Yeah. 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 Sure. 
If the yeah. Jedi certainly. The thing is, we always know Paul when we see him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You guys haven't seen this movie, but there's a Quentin Dupuis movie he did after Rubber, but before Wrong Cops, called Wrong. <laughs> so it's sort of like wrong without the cops. You don't like it, though. No, I don't like it. But I, what I do love about it, in this movie, there's a cult, uh, and the head of the cult is a, is, a, is a character named Master Chang. Master Chang is played, and, and pitched perfectly, if I may say, by an actor named William Fichtner. Ooh. It's hilarious. Uh, like, play and it's not good? The movie's not, but Peter William Fickner is, is is just hilarious playing Master Chang. Absolutely. Yeah. Um it's it's no wrong cops. Uh it sounds kinda awesome. Uh I didn't mean to do that, but uh yeah, no. I am gonna watch it right now. Uh there's a there's a movie with Mary Elizabeth Winstead that uh it's kind of a vanity project. Her husband directed it, and it's actually it's kind of good. Uh, it's mainly good because the main character is Leland Orser as a, a deprogrammer, a guy who kidnaps cult members at the behest of their family and then deprograms them, unbrainwashes them. Uh, basically, it involves being like closed in a room with with a cult member and kind of rebrainwashing them back into normalcy. Uh, so Leland Orson plays a guy hired by uh, Beth Grant and another character actor I forget, uh, and their daughter is Mary Elizabeth Winstead. So Leland Orser kidnaps Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and the movie is about him deprogramming her while they're closed up in a hotel room. It's called Faults, the movie is. Uh, and the cult in that, which I can't say much about because it would be a spoiler, but the cult business in that is kind of cool. So that's mm. a cool. Yeah. Do you know that William Fickner was in an episode of The West Wing? He better be. That's all I have to say. What does he play? Let me guess, Dingus. He plays... I'm going to guess he plays like a oh well just a, what a senator. He plays. It's a really good episode. It's it's uh, he plays somebody being considered for the Supreme Court. Oh, uh, and he's super super conservative dude, and they do this weird sort of deal where uh, he contends with Glenn Close. Uh, to go onto the Supreme Court. And she's super liberal and he's super conservative. And there's this great scene where the two of them are arguing. Um, but he's just so good in everything. But he's great in the West Wing. Glenn Close is in West Wing? Yeah, she's on a scene of the West She's on uh, an episode of the West Wing where she is going to be nominated to the uh, to the Supreme Court. She's great in Sliver, by the way. <laughs> I swear Sliver is a movie. No, no, you're right. No, it is. It is. It is. It is. And isn't it where they're like spying on these people in an, an apartment or condos? Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. I actually even know what it is. Actually. Sharon Stone's just one of them. But and I remember – one of the things I remember about it, and this is going to be really weird, as I remember Sharon Stone talking about it. It might have been Paul Verhoeven, but I'm not sure who directed it. Um, oh. Who directed um, – I'm guessing it's someone like Adrian Lyne or something it sounds like. Yeah, or Schumacher, one of those fuckheads. Yeah. yeah, maybe. Uh, but he's he's talking to her. That, like she's supposed to be having this moment where she's in her bathtub and she's like um, like she's pleasuring herself. And he's like, "What we will do is we will put pictures of hot men all up over your bathtub so you can look at those." And she's like, "Well, that's not really what I do when I'm. I just <laughs> I'm not looking at pictures." Wait, this isn't Sliver. <laughs> Pretty sure that's liver. I, I think don't remember that part. She's having a moment where she's like pleasuring herself in her bathtub, and the director's idea 
was like you just put like hot pictures of dudes like just paste yeah. them to the wall in your bathroom. Playgirl. And she's like, no, I I just think. That's how I do it. I think. I am curious what she's thinking though. Uh, she's thinking about William Baldwin apparently because they think he's in that movie. No, he's stalking her. Oh, all right. She's not just him. Do you guys know a director named Phil Juno? Yeah, Phil Juneau. Juneau. He did uh, the U2 movie. And, um, yeah, yeah. And State, that, of, State I, of Grace. Is State, a, of Grace. State of Grace, yeah. Like a, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Sean, Sean Penn. Gary Holman? Mm-hmm. I forget who else is in it. But, uh, Irish Mafia. So I hate to tell you guys this, but uh, Phil Juno's latest movie, it's a horror movie uh, with Jessica Alba as a reporter who uh, is bringing – the survivor of uh, a Jonestown-like instant, uh, incident or like a, a bunch of people commit mass suicide and a little girl survives. And then the little girl grows up and Jessica Alba's a reporter who's like, hey, little girl. Well, she's a grown woman now. She's like, hey, lady, come with me and we're going to do a, a documentary – a documentary – a documentary shoot about the cult. <laughs> a devotee. Were, a devotee. Yeah. A devotee. About the cult. <laughs> About the cult that you were in, we're going to go back to the site of the incident and just interview you and do this documentary about it. And uh, the the girl's like, well, I don't know. Okay. So they go and it becomes a stupid horror movie. It's terrible. But the cult – and they have flashbacks to it, and then the ghost of the cult leader comes back, and it's really terrible. It's just a god-awful, horrible Jessica Alba horror movie. But the cult is – the Jim Jones character in the cult is Thomas Jane. And he <laughs> he is so bad playing the cult leader. It's just a horror. Like Thomas Jane, sometimes he's great and sometimes he's terrible. Uh, there's another movie he did called The Standoff. Kelly Wan, do you know The Standoff? No. You, you should see Standoff. That's a Chuck Hogan movie, right? Uh, no, no, I don't. I think you're no. You're thinking of something that that actually sounds respectable. This is basically Dingus, a no-budget movie where Larry Fishburne and Thomas Jane have a shootout in a house, and that's the whole movie. The conceit being, Larry Fishburne is in the bottom story, Thomas Jane is on the top story, and they've each got a gun with a couple of bullets, and and Larry Fishburne is trying to get to. Like Thomas James protecting the little girl, and Larry Fishburne wants to murder the little girl because she witnessed a crime. So it's all about them. Oh having a fight and yelling at each other down these stairs. And I'm, I'm actually serious. It's actually really good. And Thomas Jane is really good in it. Um, so it was made about the same time yeah. as The Veil. Standoff is good. The Veil is horrible. And poor Thomas Jane is so in over his head trying to be this like long-haired, crazy, charismatic cult leader. And the movie ends. And Phil Geno, it's where Phil Geno, if you think Phil Geno jumped a shark by doing a crappy horror movie, here's where he's completely lost it. The movie ends with a single super long take of Thomas Jane doing a sermon, and the whole Ooh. scene is just like, oh my oh. god, in the scene already. How long are you going to make Thomas Jane sit there and embarrass himself? Uh, and it just goes on and on, and the camera's slowly pulling back, and it won't stop, and it's going on and on, and poor Thomas Jane is just chewing the scenery, and it's it's so painfully bad. Um, uh, well, I wondered if you guys would let me get away with Red State. For- yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. Easily. I mean, you, there's no real legitimate Christian sect that brings people out in a cage and murders them or whatever they're going to do to that poor right. kid. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But I, uh, I just don't like the movie. What about Snowball yeah. Diaries? Uh, yeah. You, hmm. you don't have to look. 
Well, and clearly, like too, Dingus, I mean, I think, like, Red State is, is Kevin Smith thinking he has something relevant to say about, I guess, Waco. Like, is that the idea? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, let's see what we're going to do a 3x3 three three on next week. Dingus, uh, hmm. what, what do you have for us? All right, your three favorite um, scenes in libraries. Since uh, I watched the original Ghostbusters this week, and I like that scene in the library, and I don't really appreciate the way that the new one didn't. Uh, so your three favorite scenes in libraries. I'm thinking of a scene that I don't. Does know. a bookstore count? Oh. No, a library. Can you library. go into a bookstore, Kelly, library. and just and leave with a book without paying any for it? Can you do that in a bookstore? Well, I do. <laughs> yeah. Dingus, what if they're listening? They have to run. If, if there are listeners who would like to contribute, and I hope they do, then you should send your emails to 3 by 3 at quarter3.com. That's 3x3 at quarter3.com. And you don't have to send in three. You can send in one or two or three. That's fine with us. And if you want to explain them, that's fine. If you just want to list them, that's fine as well. And if you have ideas about next week's movie, which Tom is about to tell us about. No, Dingus, you tell us. Because uh, you're, you're the big fan of this director. I am too, kind of. But you're the one who really, really likes him. All right. If you have ideas about the next week's movie we're going to see, which is Suicide Squad. Hmm. Hmm. Then oh! You should also send in your ideas about that to 3 by 3 at quarter3.com. But please send a separate email with a subject line about that movie, just so I, I can separate those out uh, and not read them with the uh, 3 by 3 picks. But yeah, there you go. All right, so uh, some more DC Universe next week and our, our favorite library. On Zach, though. Yeah. Uh, we'll see how that turns out. Uh, little Jared Leto Joker, who's not looking forward to that, right? Margot Robbie. There you go. Uh, I am oh. Tom Chick. I have been joined this week by uh, – let's see. I wrote it down so I can pronounce it. Christian Malowski. It's Christian Malowski. Mm-hmm. Right. And we also had Kelly Wand. Edward Woodward, Edward Woodward, Edward Woodward, Edward Woodward. Dingus, I see myself as the Hudson of the podcast. You are just a bundle of joy, aren't you? I swore an oath to keep it secret. This lie has kept Apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the Queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice to make! Worst ring bearer ever. (laughs) On that horrifying note, thank you for coming. Hmm. Hmm. Um, yeah.